0: Welcome to Filmstrip's Star Wars Retrospective Series, where we will review the films of the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. This is mad. Our guides for
1: this journey will be Kurt. I have a bad feeling about this. And Jay. It is obvious that this contest cannot be decided by our knowledge of the Force, but by our skills with a the light
0: These podcasts will be spoiler-filled... As we discuss the plots, characters, and themes. The Force will be with you. Always. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Kurt. Obviously, this is our Star Wars retrospective series, and our review of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, starring Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, Ian McDermott, Ahmad Best, Ray Park, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, Frank Oz, and Jake Lloyd, directed by George Lucas, released in 1999 on a budget of 115 million dollars, grossed 1 billion 27 million plus uh, worldwide. Uh, did about 447 stateside, and then you know. Uh, the rest of it uh, worldwide, but it was a mass, mass hit. But I dare say, Kurt, I don't know that there's a more hated film in sci-fi than star wars episode one the phantom menace so, nope yep uh there's a there's a lot i mean you know i joked uh i joke often with people that the internet exists for two reasons um one is to complain about the fact that the twilight vampires sparkle and the other is george lucas and the prequels and, <laughs> and in some some varying order those things are the primary and secondary functions of the internet
1: that's that's about it i mean uh, <laughs> I can't, ima- I can't imagine the uh, the explosion that happened in 1999, both before this movie came out and right like the day this movie came out. Because this this movie was made specifically for me. At the age I saw this movie, I was 11 years old. Mm-hmm. 1999, the special edition primed everyone up for Star Wars again on the big screen. So for the next two years, it was about. You know, Once that trailer came out, that admittedly amazing trailer for Phantom Menace, which yep. they clearly took the best two minutes and 30 seconds and uh, gave us uh, a great trailer of that. And it looked like it was going to be something very special. And uh, I certainly loved it in 1999. Mm-hmm. And uh, I haven't watched it since maybe 2002 or 2001, and we will get into what that feels like watching it in 2014 in a bit.
0: Well, I remember the lead up to it. Um, I've talked about before that this came out right as I was finishing my bachelor's degree in college and so I had discovered that you could follow movies on the internet and you could follow their production and all this stuff so I had followed several films from start to finish it, at different points and this was one of them that of course you know the internet was a buzz about because the original Star Wars site was amazing it was one of the best looking websites out there it had so much stuff on it and that in addition to the internet movie database you could keep up with stuff and then in 1997 the word came out that oh they're going to do new Star Wars movies and Lucas now feels like he's got the effects so he can do what he wants so he's going to put out special editions of the old ones and then we're going to do new ones now we're going to get the the backstory and that, you know and they let you follow all this stuff you could watch all these little developmental pieces and it never really gave away anything just to show you the mass number of people that were working on this thing and, and to get you hyped up for it i mean it was huge hype and this came out shortly after i graduated and i remember going to see it and I walked out of it, and I remember distinctly going like, wow, Star Wars movie. I can't believe that. Wow, that was really cool. And then a friend of mine who hadn't seen it said, okay, what's it about? And then I had to answer that question. And I don't know that I ever gave a straight answer for it because <laughs> I wasn't sure. And I went and saw it again. I saw it twice in theaters. And I remember walking out of it the second time, and I said, huh. And that's when I began to go, well okay, there's clearly some problems here, but I'm sure they'll fix it all in this next two. You know, We'll get to those on another podcast, but I will say now, I have seen this one the most of all the prequel trilogy, hmm. and and really the reason for that is it, it goes back to that same issue I had when I walked out of it in 1999. I was talking to my friend about it. I am always trying to figure out what the heck is happening in so much of this because for a movie that is is kind of long i mean it runs a little long you know for for that i mean it's a, you know it's 136 minutes so and you know take off 10 minutes of credits it's still pretty long for a star wars movie and i i dare say it vacillates between storylines so fast sometimes it gives me whiplash and <laughs> i really have to think about it to, uh, to get into it. So, yeah, it's definitely been a long time. But I guess before we get any further into this, let's go to our friend John Jansen from the Hollywood Gauntlet and hear the plot summary for Episode 1. Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. Stranded on the desert planet Tatooine after rescuing
1: young Queen Amidala from the impending invasion of Naboo, Jedi apprentice Obi-Wan Kenobi and his Jedi master Qui-Gon Jinn discover nine-year-old Anakin Skywalker a young slave unusually strong in the Force. Anakin wins a pod race and with it his freedom as he leaves his home to be trained as a Jedi. The heroes return to Naboo where Anakin and the Queen face massive invasion forces while the two Jedi contend with a deadly foe called Darth Maul. In the fight, Qui-Gon is killed, but Obi-Wan turns the tables on Maul, cutting him in half. The invasion force is defeated, but at Jen's funeral, the Jedi Council members realize this invasion is just the first step in a sinister scheme by the re-emergent forces of the darkness known as the Sith.
0: We open up right out of the gate. Same thing as always. ta You know, Star Wars. Then we get the crawl. And one thing we're automatically set up for is that this is a world before the empire existed. This is when the Republic was still around and the galactic Senate and all this stuff is before the, the dark times as Obi-Wan Kenobi called them in episode four there. And so we learn here that our Jedi Knights are sent to, uh, what, what are they doing exactly? They're mediating in a trade dispute, intergalactic politics. I that's an interesting choice.
1: Yeah, you get these, you know, a dark. You get these people that know how to bend stuff with their mind, and you get, and when then laser swords, you get them to negotiate a a, a trade dispute. And yeah, before we go any further, in this entire prequel trilogy, no two words have gotten me more sort of like groan-inducing than the words "trade federation." <laughs> I I can't stand hearing those words in a Star Wars movie. And jumping way ahead, when these guys get. Uh, diced up in uh, Revenge of the Sith, it's one of the I wanted to
0: stand up and cheer. <laughs> I think I think everyone actually did in the theater I saw that in. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you know what though? I, I'm with you. I don't think the Trade Federation is well beloved at all. But I'm gonna say it right now. I'm a sucker for political intrigue, political cinema, all that stuff. You know, I, I love that kind of stuff. House of cards, you know, all all of that. Seeing the BBC version and the American version. I watch all these, you know, political thrillers all the time read those kind of books and stuff. So the idea that this is gonna be intergalactic chess between all these different politics and how the empire rises out of that. Um, I don't know, it intrigued me. I thought, okay, that's interesting. Trade dispute. Uh, you know, I can kind of get it, you know. I get how that might be a problem. I I'm still wondering why we send Jedi other than let's get the guys that do mind control to go in and fix the problem. Well, that 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 makes total sense, but it also seems a little shady.
1: Oh yeah. Uh what was it Oh yeah, like you're talking about like political uh, intrigue and so on like the birth of the empire. That sounds amazing on paper. Uh, and I would love to have seen that done well, like let's say a West Wing of, of, of Star Wars, <laughs> yeah. but that's not the case of what we got. Yeah, that's that. These, these Trade <laughs> yeah. Federation, these people that run the Trade Federation, these these two guys, what, what's the name? One of them is Newt Gunray. Newt,
0: Newt Gunray, yeah. Uh, right away, it's just
1: the uh, the makeup is, I think, really bad. The lip movements don't match anything. They move like like a person making an impression of fish lips, and it's. It's it's pretty bad
0: I would tell you what it to me it, it calls back to you know jingoistic times of John Wayne films when you know Japanese actors would be dubbed and <laughs> yeah I mean it's I don't know that that's what they're trying to go for but that's certainly what comes off on the screen and we just need to deal with that right now just put it out I'm like yeah, that's exactly every time I see these people that's exactly what I think of and then, when you see the people that played them behind the makeup I mean they're you know they're just normal looking folks like they, I don't even think they had a clue what they were doing most of the time but it's the people that are acting behind the, and making the phase move and stuff are not the people voicing them. And a lot of times you can tell ADR work, Sometimes, not even so much by the sink, but just that it's so different than what's coming out of that face, you know? And uh, I don't know, it always throws me off. And I don't understand why that choice is made, why they couldn't just. I mean, everybody in the Empire last time just spoke either, you know, British tinted English or American English. You know, maybe you had a, a Spanish or something mixed in there too. But it, I mean, most everybody else was just, they just talked normal. Like, you just sort of accept that, yeah, that's just part of the galaxy, right? You know, I don't know that I needed the exotic nature. Of these creatures at all
1: yeah not at all uh right i mean right away what they look like and how they how their faces move the makeup is one thing but literally what they say a it's it's some of the worst writing lucas has ever done is specifically what these these trade federation guys say to each other
0: yeah it's broken english
1: it's horrible it's broken English, and I mean it's 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 crossing though. It's borderline racist. It's literally like mm-hmm. it's like like Bugs Bunny oh, doing the slitty oh. eyes thing. Like
0: it's, oh, oh, we're gonna get to borderline racism. Just hold yeah. on. <laughs> so, yeah, that's coming up. So. I was
1: like, it's not a good not a good start. I hadn't seen the movie in in over a decade, and it's like right away their voices are just like this is annoying. Like these guys yeah. sound annoying. Like I like got a lot. None of the villains in in in, uh, in Empire. None of the imperial guys were were irritating to me to listen to i'm just looking and listening to these guys like these guys
0: suck oh they're yeah they're they are horrible there's there's no doubt about it i agree and it's contrasted with the thing that i actually get excited about liam neeson as a jedi knight now you know i'd like liam neeson long before taken had ever you put him in the stratosphere that he's in now or whatever but this guy is always just cool On the screen. And I had seen Ewan McGregor in Train Spotting. So I thought, well, this is an interesting choice. Him as young Obi Wan, and then you've got this other Jedi Knight there. I don't know. I I was attracted and interested in Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor. That's going to be cool. But they get to play off of these, again, borderline offensive Trade Federation characters.
1: The cast, you just look at a list of the actors in this movie. Liam Neeson, Natalie Portman, Ewan McGregor, Samuel L. Jackson, Terrence Stamp, uh, Oliver Ford Davies, Brian Blessed. These are great, great actors. Natalie Portman is an amazing actress. I mean, uh, a few years ago with her in The Professional, that's one of the best child performances ever. Yeah. And, but Liam Neeson specifically, uh, this, this would have been the first time I've seen, maybe, any of these actors before in anything i'd never Mm -hmm. heard and that so it really it's probably very different for let's say the you know the 20 and over crowd that saw this movie that had seen train spotting schindler's list rob roy or pulp fiction or whatever but this is how i got to know these guys and looking back so i so at the time i thought oh liam neeson this guy i don't know who this guy is but he's cool watching it now after having seen schindler's list dark man uh uh Batman begins and movies where Liam Neeson gives great performances. I look at him in this movie, I'm just like, I don't see that Liam Neeson
0: anymore. I, I'm I'm gonna say this here, and I, I'm this may be a controversial statement. I'm not gonna blame a single performer in this film because I believe strongly that they are hampered by a poorly written set of dialogue and a director that does not know how to direct actors and did not employ someone like Lawrence Kasdan to punch up the script or anything like that. I don't blame anybody here for what they give. Also, if if you watch the behind the scenes stuff, and it is quite revealing to watch it, you actually get to see George Lucas in the editing room and you saw something in there that had never been done before. He was able to take frames of people's scenes and mix and mash them together in ways that they had never been able to do before. And Ben Burt, the editor, even calls out, it's really different the way the way you can now digitally totally alter somebody's performance. It almost has a way to say, if you don't like the way some of this comes off, y'all, it's George's fault. <laughs> and I believe that. I, I don't think anyone here performing is to blame for what they have to do. Um, I think they do the best with what has been given to them.
1: That's absolutely the case. None of these, and that's thing. all of these actors, all of them, mm-hmm. have done uh, great stuff in between Star Wars films and afterwards. Like Ewan McGregor's fantastic in uh, uh, Black Hawk Down and Big Fish and, and, and Moulin Rouge and, yeah. and so on. And Liam Neeson did you know Batman Begins and Taken, where he played a, uh, a much better a- action hero. And, and so on. Natalie Portman won an Oscar, Samuel L. Jackson, and, and so on. And yeah, I don't blame the actors at all. I blame Lucas. And I wonder if he I I mean, I'd love to see what an average day on the Lucas set is like if he does one take or not. And I'd love to see him direct a scene and say, cut. That was good. Let's move on. I want to see him say those words. And I want to see Liam Neeson
0: say, are you sure? Because I can go again, you know. I, I think a lot of it was, yeah, we got it. We'll fix it later. I, I really think that was a lot. Of, I mean, Lucas at this point trusted what ILM and he could do behind the scenes. Because you got to remember, this is only the fourth you know thing he had ever directed yeah. at this point. And he had so much you know more cred as a producer and as a head of the effects end and, and part of Hollywood and the world that – he felt like, hey, he can just fix it on the back end. I mean it's I don't know, it's, it's a different way of doing things. It's, you, know, you hear about record producers sometimes and you find out you know bands albums that they sound amazing and then you go see them live and it's nothing like the record and you find out how much the producer really affected. A good example of that if you're a fan of the Black crows at all and you go listen to their first record, shake your Moneymaker sounds very different from everything else they ever did that's because rick rubin got his hands on it and put that rick rubin sheen to it right at the end totally different sound of record than what those guys really sound like and do like and they've hated it ever since i mean they kind of go out of their way to play odd versions of those songs now but uh, you're back on the topic here though i have a question for you because they arrive and they're they're put into this room and you know they're supposed to be a negotiation and you see the Uh, Trade Federation guys going, no, 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 we got to call, you know, help or whatever. And we we see the Emperor for the first time again. You know, he pops up in hologram and he tells them to go kill them, you know, kill them, wipe them out. And I'm like, okay my question right now, what is the Emperor's plan exactly? Because I don't understand what killing the Jedi accomplishes at all.
1: It doesn't. You kill two Jedi Knights. It would just bring more attention to whatever this is going on. You'll bring a thousand Jedi Knights to the entire Republic. It's just—it's—it's a it's, hundred it's percent Lucas not knowing what to do and how to start this movie properly. He just—he's mm-hmm. got to get—I got to get the action going right away, and that's this is the best he can do.
0: Yeah, I mean, because they, they blow the ship out of the hangar, which I'm like, hey, you know, thanks for blowing up your own hangar. Isn't there a better way of doing that? <laughs> you know, and then they try to poison the Jedi, and then they send what has to be the most incompetent force ever put against another group of people in film. I, I mean, we've knocked on the stormtroopers for their bad skills before or whatever. I don't think anything tops the flimsiness and almost uselessness of the attack droid they look cool but they are horrible
1: it is but it's like it's like lucas he created the like the stormtroopers can't aim they're human they're faulty so he created battle droids like boom right away you fix that problem of incompetent uh, soldiers by having (laughs) actual artificial intelligence and precise and they still miss The the actual battle droids. Also, I hate their voices. Like the super high pitch. They should have had like uh, Cylon, you know, that sort of low pitch Darth Vader esque uh, voices, like uh, and so on.
0: They should have had non emotive voices. That's the problem. These are robotic voices, but there's pitch to them. There's timber, and they kind of walk around shaking at one point when they, you know, they see the smoke cleared and here come the two laser swords at them. You know, I'm like, droids would just walk in there and start shooting. You know, like what? Yeah. What's the hesitation at the door? They're, it's not like they're going to breathe in the gas. I don't. Yeah, I it's really. But, but the cool thing that comes out of that is the the fact that you get to see the Jedi show off, and we get to see. Two Jedi powers we hadn't seen before. You get to see the Force push, and you get to see them just sort of speed off. Which I'm like, well, that that's useful. That's kind of cool. So sure,
1: hope that doesn't cut, that doesn't become <laughs> necessary later on in the movie.
0: <laughs> well, we'll get to that when we need yeah. to. But no, you're right, and and that's the thing though is we have been promised that you know you've never really seen real Jedi. You've seen old men and half men and uh, farm boys try to be Jedi's. Well, you're going to see real Jedi and what they were really like in their golden age, and and so. On that level, I'm like, okay, this delivers. They cut through those droids like no problem, and then they, boom, they're gone. They're out of the way, and I'm like, okay, that's that's what I would expect Jedi to be able to do. That's pretty cool.
1: Oh yeah, like that was right away. That was something I was thinking about was that we're getting Jedi in their prime who've gone through all of this training we keep hearing about. Like these are these are the these are the pros. Obi Wan and Qui Gon are you know best of the best kind of thing, and they and the way they operate and how they move in all three of the films, the way the Jedi. Go about their Jedi business is one of the more impressive things about this prequel trilogy is the Jedi, you know, we finally get to see what Jedi were supposed to do the way Obi-Wan talks about in A New Hope. And and it's very impressive uh, in terms of there's, a, there's a, a kung fu nature about it that I, I do really like.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's very much Kung Fu. I think you, you've hit on it. It's very, I don't know, it reminds me a lot of some of the you know, the better Bruce Lee films and, and a lot of good Kung Fu out there. So it's, it's very, well, you know what? Uh, I, Honestly, the same year, you know, The Matrix came out in nineteen ninety nine and there was a huge influence of that in there. And a lot of people would tell you, you know, The Matrix is the surprise sci fi hit of ninety nine that Phantom Menace man made a lot of money and stuff, but it's the one that people sort of thumb their nose at nowadays. And most people will hold up that first Matrix film as being you know, some work of art and stuff like that. That's another podcast for another day. But that yeah, we're on the same page here so far. But we introduced two other things here that I want us to kind of step back and talk about for a second. One is The Emperor. You know, the Emperor Palpatine. Up, up until this point, you know, Star Wars' note of him is that he's this sort of shriveled old man that can shoot lightning out of his fingers and eventually gets thrown down a shaft. So when you know the the end of a character like that, how do you make that person interesting? And I will give Lucas credit for the way that he introduces him. I don't understand what his plan is, but clearly he has got these people in his back pocket.
1: Oh, yeah. Like like I said on, uh, on the Empire podcast, uh, of all the things Lucas might screw up, he doesn't screw up the Emperor. In all of the five films that he's in, he's very well used, and I, I love <laughs> the way he's used in this movie. He's the only intimidating. Him and Darth Maul are the only good villains in this uh, in this film, and uh, I really do like the mystery of uh, of of Darth Sidious as this this prequel trilogy goes on, because the audience, of course. Knows who this character is, and I wonder if if you watch these movies one to six, if it's meant to be a, an enormous shock in episode three when you find out that that's Senator Palpatine, Darth Sidious, are the same guy. But I I like the way they do it do that. They don't flat out like tell you, hey, you remember you saw Return of the Jedi? Like this is the Emperor. They don't they don't call him the Emperor. They call him yeah. Uh, Darth, Darth Sidious. Sidious,
0: yeah, which is another thing. It's like, okay, who's that? You know, We'll get a lot more about the Sith as this unfolds we'll get some drop lines from the Jedi here and there about it. But it is cool. And the other thing they introduce is the queen of Naboo, this girl, like this, you know, teenage girl Natalie Portman in all that Kabuki makeup. I remember seeing that in the trailer, going, "What in the heck is that?" You know, because I I knew her from The Professional as well, and had seen her some other stuff. So I was like, "What? I don't get that." That didn't look like anything we had seen in a Star Wars film before, and it gave me hope that okay, this was going to take us back to a really different time in the time of the Republic when something like that would exist. And it I don't know, it kind of reminds me of you know, a lot of Asian cultures where you have boy kings and things like that.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like Queen Amadala is 100% inspired by you know, uh, India and, and mm-hmm. Kabuki big time. And uh, the costume design and makeup of Queen Amadala is very impressive, and that's where her impressiveness ends. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, I want to say this. I like Natalie Portman, not her best performance. No. Uh in any version that she is the queen here, not no, not good. And I, again, I don't know that that's her fault either. I I don't understand the way she speaks when she's the queen. <laughs> she has <laughs> this deeply affected voice that at different times when she's with the council she talks in a different tone when she's on the radio or the, the hologram she talks differently and you can't say it's transmission because everybody else sounds the same and then when she's masquerading as not herself she definitely talks like she normally would so i don't i don't get it i don't get what she like did she had to put on airs as part of being the queen or something it's very strange
1: yeah hearing her voice in the, in the movie it's like watching it now knowing a little bit more about sound effects I it's like they clearly digitally altered her voice Yeah, and it, to me it was the same kind of distraction as in the Dark Knight where I can listen to Christian Bell's Batman voice it's like clearly they digitally altered the voice and that's all I can think of when I hear that
0: yeah if, if only she had been like you will let my people go <laughs> you know, So if only we had gotten one of those. Yeah. But, uh, n- nevertheless. Uh, so she, you know, it lays out some veiled thread about, I don't know what. And then the uh, Jedi decide, well, okay, they're going to invade. So let's get on two separate ships and we'll meet up on the ground. Which I'm like, that did not make any sense. You no, just no. increase your chances of getting lost by a factor of 10. <laughs> what if they planned on different sides of the planet? <laughs> you know? I'm like, if you didn't read the plan said everybody was going to the same place. I mean, I I think we're supposed to take that for granted, but I'm like, no. And this is my problem with this film is it's trying to do too damn much, too damn fast. We're trying to get through so much stuff here to get to what is going to be cooler later. That we're sacrificing anything that makes any sense. So while it looks like a visual visual spectacle, and I'm sitting there, I remember the first time seeing it, going, "Oh my gosh, this is amazing! How this looks! This is computer generated? No way!" And now, you know, in a, any subsequent rewatching of it, I'm going, "But wait a minute, what? Why are we doing that? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense."
1: Oh yeah, like no matter what my problems are with this movie, the last thing I'm going to knock is the production design, costume, makeup, and see and the the uh the cgi itself and how you know good it is for 1999 like all that it's like he did everything right except for you know directing the actors and writing a story that can care about but everything else like it's very well made i suppose
0: yeah, the artisan craft work here is top notch, yeah. agreed. And it what was recognized at the at the Oscars. I don't think it won, but it was nominated again. So I mean, you know, as as was noted, I mean this was a, a spectacle and they were even playing again. You watch that back uh, behind the scenes stuff they're talking about if we do this and it works, we're gonna have, you know, everybody in the world knocking down our door for, you know, this kind of effects work. And they're not wrong. I mean they had a lot of people coming to them after that. They just, you know, they just didn't expect the Matrix and they, you know, they lost in every one of those categories to the Matrix, but and people were going in one of two directions, either this way or that way. But this is sort of like everything that was done in Jurassic Park to the next ten levels. Like that's what they were trying to do. And they're really doing it. So they land on the planet though and we're, you know, we're going to see the droid army, and I love how it's tearing through the woods. And I'm yep. like, this would be a really good idea if these things weren't so flimsy to land them in the woods. But maybe there's <laughs> something here. And then we meet, well, I'm just going to call it probably the most hated character ever devised yep. in, in cinema. Is yeah, that at fair? Ten, at 10
1: minutes and 56 seconds, I wrote it down.
0: Yep. Cinema history is ruined forever. <laughs> Jar Jar Binks. odd Best the look of it's actually kind of cool. And the idea is daring, you know, full motion capture on yeah. a, on a character. Cause it was going to be a suit and then a CGI head and all this. And they finally just said, Ah, screw it. Let's do the whole thing. Cause the actor they got stage actor was somebody that could do really funky movements. And he just kind of yeah. walked with a real, you know, neat gate and, you know, they, they, and he did the voice. That's, that's a mod best. That's the actual dialogue that was written for him and the voice, how in the world he was not offended by that. I will (laughs) never know because it is incredibly, incredibly, well, it's childish and it's like Rastafarian stupid. I don't know what Jar Jar is supposed to be other than every bad stereotype about certain groups of people that you could possibly concoct.
1: Is what Jar Jar. All that stuff of uh, him being, you know, a very like lame character and weak and annoying is one thing. But just all in all, with this, the fact that he's you know the CG character, and this is what Jar Jar Binks is. On Roger Rabbit, they said if Roger Rabbit himself didn't work, then the movie didn't work. And if on Lord of the Rings, if Gollum didn't work, then the Two Towers and Return of the King didn't work. Right. Well, Jar Jar Binks doesn't work, and that brings Phantom Menace down so
0: much. There's a there's a good discussion on the Internet about who's the main character of the Phantom Menace. Hmm. You know, it's not Anakin. It's not the Jedi. It's not the quick you know, this, But I'm going to make this argument that it's supposed to be Jar Jar Binks, that he's supposed to be our through line for all of this. And it's so offensive and so ridiculous that nobody can latch onto it. So what you walk away from this with is going, there really wasn't a main character. And that's another problem with the film. But I would, I could argue that I think that's what Lucas intends, is that he is the main character of this first film.
1: I buy that, yeah. Uh, and I think Lucas thought this guy, this Charger Binks, was going to be as beloved as Chewbacca, or yoda or c-3po or whatever there was going to be another star wars fantasy alien creature character that was going to you know change up how characters just like that are done in film and really all it is is now is people are just like Jar Jar is the go-to character of what not to do in movies like this
0: yeah, it is. It is the complete wrong decision in every possible way. Now, the, the idea of the character, I think, is neat that the two Jedi run into a local, you know, along the way. And he basically tags along with them. And to be the point of view for the audience, he gets them from point plot to you know, plot point to plot point. Um, that's cool. But the Gungans and the way that they operate and and I'm not even just beyond the racial sh- stuff for a minute, just how ridiculous they are. They're all just so cartoony mm-hmm. in a fantasy world that has been pretty, pretty fantastic. Let's admit, when we had the Care Bears taking down the Empire last time, okay? <laughs> I mean, we, we can go fantastic. I'm willing to go something. We've had the walking carpet, you know, be one of the best engineers in the <laughs> galaxy. But this just doesn't work because I think because you you. Force so much dialogue into his mouth and he's trying to do so much exposition. And like we were joking in the opener there, he's speaking in that broken fake Jamaican, whatever that accent is supposed to be. You can't follow that. You can't. I mean, it sounds like a, like my four year old niece trying to explain something to me, you know I mean? And that's cute when she does it. But you know, Hmm. after about four minutes, it's like, okay, stop. (laughs) You know, I mean, we all feel that way. So I don't know. I just, I find him. Incredibly hard to even get into just from what he's supposed to do as a character. It's so hard to follow him.
1: Yeah, as so like I said, we're supposed to like this guy, and he is absolutely, I think, supposed to be one of the main characters, if not the, because he's absolutely the Luke Skywalker, every man guy who just happens to be living on this planet, who gets thrown into this adventure, and instead, you just, every time he speaks, you're just like, just please stop talking.
0: Yeah, that's his whole his whole arc. He tells the Jedi, uh, you know, you need to go to the Gungan city, and they're like, okay, let's go there. And he's, like, yeah, it's not such a good idea. So, like, you realize that okay, this, there's something to this dude. And I'll say this: the Gungan city is cool. That mm-hmm. is, a, I love the bubble walls and all that stuff. That's kind of cool. What I hate is the rest of the Gungans. And all, I mean, they look like relatives of Jabba the Hutt, and they're about as short-sighted as he is too. And just, they're, I mean, let's call it, they're either lizard-type things like he is, or they're like fat frogs.
1: Yeah, it's it's weird. The the actual Gunga City is that whole underwater city. That's something Lucas wanted to do in The New Hope, but mm-hmm. literally just couldn't feasibly do it. And so with all this CGI, he was able to. Uh, to do it and the concept is amazing and it looked great in 1999 but this is one of the scenes that looking back now i think the cg when they're inside the city for some reason that looks very that looks very bad cg to me like literally the surroundings around ewan mcgregor and
0: liam neeson uh, It's because the there's I- nothing there you're right yeah. yeah
1: but the idea is fantastic and literally like the visuals and what lucas is really attempting to do is is impressive
0: yeah and, and I'm looking at this, and like they you know they get they use the force trick to you'll know, give us a transport and let us out of here, and then they decide, uh let's save the stupid thing you know for whatever reason and he's going to be their navigator i'm I caught that line this time that that uh qui-gon's like well we may need a navigator this guy seems to know where he's going we're going to the planet core okay we'll go with him and i said jar Jar's is supposed to be navigator does he ever do anything in that underwater ship besides scream at the fish and get bulking nerve pinched to uh, in that whole five minute scene
1: not at all i mean jar jar Banks, it would be i mean this is a movie, and with all the, any, all the three, even though I like episode three, there's so many things in, in these movies where I think, you know, what could be better? And like Jar Jar Binks, he it shouldn't have been a comic relief, goofy character. He should have been like a uh, some kind of like a like a Tarzan guy who knows the jungle better than anyone, kind of thing. Uh, like who is like a genuinely great warrior, someone who has like a who carries a you know a knife uh, on his belt, kind of stuff, or like some kind of like. Like someone, an impressive soldier who isn't afraid of anything, who like someone who lives on a hostile planet like Naboo under the water, and instead it's like it's like he's never been under the water before. He he doesn't know that there's giant that uh, fish. He's surprised by all this stuff, and just like it's just it's just weak.
0: I know, and he gives them that one line, too. Like, you're getting set up going through the core. That's a bad idea. and Of course, he doesn't say it that clearly, but he says that to them, and they never pay that off. You know what? I could make this for you. If you, want, you just gave me an idea to rewrite this whole thing. Why not Jar Jar Binks just be like, kind of like Crocodile Dundee or Steve go. Irwin? If he was just one of those kind, he could even be an alien. If he just sort of worked like that, I would have gone with it. You know, if you want to have this group of primitives that are somewhat primitives, different you know, species or whatever that live on Naboo with different from the main you know, humanoid types, fine. But at least you know, lay off of the the overly corrected and overforced comic relief that he's supposed to be, because it's just not working. And and I threw it out there. I would ask you, does Qui seriously give him the Vulcan nerve pinch? <laughs> so because that's what that looked like. I mean, he grabs him on the shoulder and is like settled down and, and you know, uh, Jar Jar just sort of slumps over. And I was like, did he just did he just Vulcan nerve pinch him? Are there Vulcans going to be at the council later? I need to know. I, you know, because if that happens, then then my chocolate and peanut butter are forever mixed and I can't go on. So, um, <laughs> so that's what it looks like. But 20 minutes in, man, and I have whiplash. Because this story is all over the place, and I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to be following. And then we get to the Naboo, and I'm like, man, you guys were taking over fast. Was there even a fight, or did you just give up? I mean, I, you know, I know they drop a line like, our security is no matter, no match for the battle hardened droids. And I'm like, battle hardened? I just saw two dudes cut them apart in like a five foot room. How, how crappy is your security force, lady? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I guess the, the Naboo they say they don't have an army. Uh they have I don't know why they have guns at all then if uh if they don't yeah. if, if they don't have if they don't think they need to use them yeah, the do they they need d- an army. D-
0: they don't have an army, but the Queen's got two pistols sitting next to her yeah. uh chair. We'll find out later. Okay. That does not make any sense. You're either a pacifist country or you're not. <laughs> you know? I mean, that does that doesn't make any sense.
1: No, not at all. That, the guns in the chair thing, that's something you have when you're constantly under siege and you're constantly at war. A peaceful planet wouldn't have you know, an arsenal in their chairs.
0: Yeah. It's also a, a problem when you start realizing that these people act like they're incredibly paranoid. Like they're they're always at the brink of being taken over, and I'm like, hey, maybe it would have been time to form an army then. If you feel that way, <laughs> you know, because like, look, the Swiss aren't really worried about it <laughs> and they don't hmm. really go about it. They don't really worry about anybody marching in on them and they just seem to be able to exist with what they you know have. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm i looking at this and I'm trying to apply Earth logic to something that's not supposed to be. But it doesn't it doesn't match with what I've already seen, because this is the hard part about doing a future a story that is years away, that is in the future, but it's also supposed to be in the past of other future stories. You know, like you have to dial things back somewhat because they can't have things that are more advanced than like star destroyers and the Death Star, yeah. right? But they've still got to have you know stuff that would lead to that. So you have to buy some of that technology, but. There's there's nothing about the, the way that these people operate that lets me believe that like they're so easily to be taken over. It's they all sit around, especially that one guy with the beard. I don't know who he is, but he's always talking about like, oh, it's just the worst thing ever. The communications have been destroyed. We're going to be taken. Like he's he's like Donald Pleasance in a Halloween sequel. He's just yeah. losing his mind all the time. And I'm like, man, if you guys were that worried about that, why didn't you uh, you know build up a stockade? You know, at some point, might have been a good idea.
1: Yeah, that actor's I can't remember. I can't remember the names of any of the characters that aren't major Star Wars characters in this movie. Uh, but I, that actor's name is Oliver Ford Davies. He's a fantastic actor. He was in uh, season two premiere of Game of Thrones as the guy who voiced his thoughts on the red woman as they're, you know, lighting that uh, giant that, fire.
0: That, I knew I'd seen the face and heard the voice. There we go. So okay,
1: yeah. I'm so glad he's still
0: that. still getting work. So yeah. <laughs>
1: after and, to this, and he's like he's him specifically him and Terrence Stamp. You have actors like that. You don't waste them in the tiniest parts in the movie and only in the one movie. Like 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 jumping ahead, but Terrence Stamp should have been in all three of these movies as a as a major force. You got Terrence Stamp this the guy has an unbelievable screen presence and he's in two scenes and he has maybe three lines.
0: Yeah, and he's, and they're not even consequential. He, again, he just is thrown to the side so easily. It's That's what blows me away. I'm like, you know, I like political intrigue movies, and if you're going to set up the backstory of Star Wars, at least the first chapter of it, to be a political intrigue movie, then there's got to be, you know, actual intrigue. Because I mean everything happens so easily. I mean the people, you know, Sidious has got to be sitting around going, "Damn, that was a lot simpler than I thought." I mean, this, <laughs> this I mean, everything plays exactly the way he wants to, even when it goes against what he's expecting to happen. You know, he calls it out, and it still works. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, the Jedi show up and they dispense with the droids real fast, and you know they're ready to blow through the blockade. And I, my thing about like the. The uh, handmaidens with the queen and stuff like that was pretty obvious, right? The decoy thing. I was like, how does that even work? Is that like the movie Dave, where you have different, <laughs> you know, Kevin Klein presidents or whatever? I mean, they, I mean, for a blockade that they got through that pretty pretty easy. I mean, they lost what three droids? That was it. That's that's <laughs> yeah. pretty good, man. That SR seventy one Blackbird thing flew right through that crap. Oh
1: yeah, the the decoy thing. I mean, as a fairly intelligent person, I have a very hard time wrapping my head around exactly what these. about what these decoys are when the switch is made between amidala and her turning into padme and just the concept of a decoy like the idea of you know having someone posing as the queen good idea Mm -hmm. but not when you're standing right next to the real queen (laughs) yeah so all they got to do is shoot everyone there and then everyone's dead
0: and look and future or not, my wife called this out. She's like, future or not, taking off that amount of makeup is not that easy to do. You know, <laughs> like that is going to take some time. You can't just whoop turn around and then it's gone. Like that's not that's not how this is going to work. You know? <laughs> oh yeah,
1: that that actually, that actually came to mind. Is like that first outfit she's in, the all, yeah. you know the, the the big red one, and then when she's being taken away, she's changed her clothes and changed her makeup. Makes me think like these trade federations gave her the four hours it took to change <laughs> outfits.
0: Hey, why not, man? They don't seem to be in a hurry to do anything else. Yeah. I, mean, what? I mean, They're stopping space supplies to Naboo. We don't even know how long the blockades lasted, but I mean, you'd mean think people are dying. And I even say that here, and I'm like, how long has it actually been? Like, If you had established that this had been going on for like six months or something, I could buy that there was a problem, but nowhere in the city does it look distressed it's a beautiful clean gorgeous place (laughs) and that's the other thing too and it's it's something to notice and it's almost a good thing too because there's that line that obi-wan has in in the original star wars where he talks about it being a more civilized time and it's one thing about everybody here even the bad guys uh, with the exception of Sidious and Maul, who are a different c- category, like everyone is so civilized, and they're just, you know, even, the, you know, especially the Trade Federation guys are like, we are going to take your planet, you know, and like they don't, nobody gets really upset about anything. I, I don't know, it's a different different time, but uh, I don't know if that's by accident. I imagine that's probably by accident. I doubt that's by design, but it it <laughs> comes off that way. So if they were trying to accomplish that, good. But again, this first act, I, I wrote down these these exact words, Kurt. This first act straight up blows. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm supposed to be following here. And I think what I'm supposed to be following, I don't want to follow. I don't want to follow Darth Maul. <laughs> <Vader>. Leave him. <laughs> you know, I don't want to see that. The The only thing is that it ends on the Darth Maul reveal with Sidious in the hologram. And when he steps up to the hologram, I'm like, I don't know what the F that is, but that looks bad. <laughs> and I'm like, now that was kind of cool. I don't know do that red and black looking lizard face thing. That that looks awesome.
1: Oh, yeah. Darth Maul, easily the best uh, new addition to the Star Wars universe is this character. And, yeah, I, I have zero complaints about him. He looks outstanding. That makeup is so uh, – clearly so much work went into designing that because that's the thing. You watch these DVDs and you see – some of my favorite stuff is the design guys literally designing like what's the villain in you know episode three going to mm-hmm. look like. And there's like 50 different drawings – that all these artists are pitching, and uh, I need to watch the Phantom Menace DVD because I'm sure they get into that. But they but yeah, the Darth Maul, uh, everything about that character is just so cool. The fact that like eventually the reveal of the horns, just like I want to see what where this guy's from. I want to see this guy's planet and what where these people live.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I want his backstory. Can we go watch him because that looks pretty awesome. And look, Ray Park, uh, I you know, not much of an actor, but as a martial artist and a choreographer and stuff like that, that dude is amazing. And he is responsible for the sword fights. And the idea of this guy will have two lightsabers back to back and he'll just be he you know, two people at one time, no problem. Like <laughs> this dude is he's just badass. Like and and on that I give Lucas thumbs up for like Okay, thank you for paying off what you promised about the you know the golden age of the Jedi that the fights would be beyond anything we'd ever seen, and because uh, it certainly is, and uh, very very good sword fights in this, and Darth Maul does not disappoint. Um, definitely was interested in him. Oh yeah, Ray
1: Park, he's got some, he's got uh, at least uh, by my count, he's got three fantastic action badass roles to his name. He's got Darth Maul. He's got Toad from X-Men, and he played the, the Headless Horseman in Sleepy Hollow, who's, who's, that's who's, right. who's, who's the coolest part of that movie,
0: too. Yep. Very cool. And and at Toad, not the coolest part of that first X-Men yep. movie, but that's not his fault either. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, th- that Halle Berry line just haunts me. <laughs> so, And that's a Joss Whedon line, too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, You know, that's my proof to people. I'm like, hey, look, the guy's good, but he, he still sucks sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah, lightning, everything that happens to everything else. It <laughs> me, hit me in the head. But anyway. <laughs> Why, why couldn't he punch up the script on this anyway <laughs> so they they decide to go to tatooine because their hyperdrive is damaged they're just going to land for a little while figure out what's up and you know they they're going off the ship and I, you know we go back to this decoy thing right Quagon goes and he takes r2d2 with him because he needs him for the technical matters though he never uses him for that mm-hmm. with the ship and then the uh head guard Tanaka comes out with the handmaiden. It's like the queen instructs you to take the handmaiden. And we of course know that that's actually the queen, but the looks he gives back and forth, do you, does he know that's really the queen or is he just playing along? Cause I, I can't tell from the way the actor. Yeah. I
1: think, the, yeah, I don't think Amidala has told anyone except this other decoy. What's, what's going on. She's okay. not running a very good kingdom here.
0: Okay, yeah, because this is a bad idea, okay, all the way around. Let's take this girl to walk through, I mean, little frail girl, and I'm sorry, Natalie Porton is very small and frail, especially next to 6'4", Liam Neeson, you know, and let's go run through Tatooine and particularly like Moss Eisley and places hmm. like that because, yeah, that's such a safe place to be.
1: Oh, yeah, and, yeah, let's take Jar Jar too because of all the th- the help he can do us
0: oh god i forgot he was going along too you're right yeah so (laughs) why yeah because he's so useful on this planet he's never been to so (laughs) why? because he was so great at the one he was actually from so yeah Yeah. again that's he's just going to be he's he's our main character kurt whether we like it or not so he's along for the ride but here's my question too if this place is supposed to be controlled by the huts um you think they could have been in it more (laughs) like been a part of the story like couldn't one of the huts been who we had to negotiate with the parts over, and not the flying Cheech Marin, uh, <laughs> you know, stereotype thing there. The car salesman.
1: Oh yeah, the, 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 that's a throwaway line. The planet is controlled by the Huts. I mean, we didn't even get that in uh, in, uh, in 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 New Hope. Apparently, I guess the Empire took it over from uh, from the Huts. But uh, yeah, that I I don't think I don't like I don't like that that, that the Huts control. I, I don't like the idea that the Huts are. All powerful. Just like the Jab the Hut is just one particular gangster who lives on this planet. It also ma- also makes it sound like the huts are from Tatooine, which mm-hmm. I don't like. A big slimy thing wouldn't come from a desert. You know, that's that's a whole other. Thing. Yeah, it's like they, they would have
0: been you know they would have been more like from Dagobah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so in, in the worlds of what we've seen, and and backing up just one more step about this queen decoy bit, d- does the decoy tell the queen to go clean up R two D two?
1: I exactly <laughs> thought th- I thought the exact same thing. It's like why are you like you got six other handmaidens? Just ask one of the other ones to do it. You're just like telling the queen, hey queen. You go clean the shit.
0: Maybe the, maybe the queen is like – like she gets nervous and she's like the clean shit when she's nervous. <laughs> I, you know, people do that. Like, you know, they just go through cleaning binges and stuff. I don't know. I've seen my wife tear her closet apart sometimes in, in Fury looking for things and rearranging. But I I don't know. I, I've often thought that was really an odd thing. Like later on, maybe the queen is like when she's queen again, she's like, hey, look, bitch. Thanks a lot. <laughs> you know? I didn't want to use the WD40 today but anyway um it could be like black swan maybe they're all the same person anyway like <laughs> so anyway a much better performance by Portman I, I will yeah. say by the way anyway so we go we go to Tatooine and we meet of course young Anakin Skywalker he's been a pilot his whole life kurt all yeah. nine damn years of it <laughs> so <clears throat> okay you, you know he's got to be younger okay so obviously does, does he have to be this young?
1: No, he doesn't. Yeah. I thought of, I thought of this often is, uh, at Hayden Christensen or age equivalent. This should have been a team. This should have been a Luke Skywalker age character mm-hmm. that we're meeting mm-hmm. on Tatooine should have been like a repeat of Luke
0: Skywalker. Exactly. It would have made total sense. Everything else can play out exactly as it does. And I'm, I'm, I'll say now stick Hayden Christensen in this, you know, fine. Yeah. You know, he's not great, but he does what he can with some of this stuff. And, Put someone like that, again, teenage years, close to the Queen's age, actually closer to the Queen's age. That gets weird and strange here in a little bit. But he should have been a teenager because you could have bought that – well, we bought that Luke, someone his age, when he was supposed to be, what, 18, 19, something like that, um, maybe 20 – that he had had enough experience to be a pilot. He was, you know, he could bull his eye womp rat in his T16 back home. You know, he had done stuff. Had been around. Anakin Skywalker maybe could clean up his room. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. And and I'm going to say this now. I I actually feel sorry for the kid, Jake Lloyd, cuz like he had to get out of acting because of the abuse he takes for this. All right? <laughs> And I think his entire performance is cut and pasted together from multiple takes from what Lucas could do. And and you, if you watch the behind-the-scenes stuff, you can see that because he is struggling to spit this dialogue out because it's not the way anyone talks, particularly a nine-year-old.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I recently uh, – over last week, I watched Stand By Me, and that movie makes you think – like that after Stand By Me there's no excuse for bad performances from children in film so when I watch this I'm just like it's like this this like I'm I'm clearly they probably auditioned hundreds of children to play this role and this guy was the best I find that so hard to believe I'm trying to think I mean, I'm trying to think of actors. I mean, I don't know, like Elijah Wood at the time might have been an appropriate age or, or, or maybe not. But the point is, Jake Lloyd clearly could not have been the best. And he's not and he's not good in the movie. He's not, he's, not. he's not even appropriately, even if they're trying to make him just adorable. He's not appropriately cute. He's not funny. That's a big problem I have with this movie aside is that all the comic relief, none of it works.
0: There's yeah. not
1: one laugh in this whole
0: movie. It's it's not funny. It's not funny at all. And that's the thing is you realize that this is what George thinks is funny, and there's no one there to tell him otherwise. Yeah. Gary Kurtz is gone. All these other people are gone. Rick McCallum's not that kind of guy. They they nobody tells him. You know the only thing they ever call him on the carpet about. And again, I, I recommend watching the behind the scenes stuff on this because it will give you a real insight to the only thing they call him out about is cost. It's all about budget like George we can't do it for that amount of money. Well we're going to have to have this we want to do this. You know but uh, you watching him try to direct Jake here at one point he even tells me he's like I keep saying the word wrong. He's like yeah just you'll get it we'll we'll figure it out. And it's like he's telling you there, like, I don't care how bad you are. It doesn't matter. (laughs) You know, he doesn't. I don't even think he cares. And that's that's a disservice to the actor because you bring up Stand By Me. Nick and I had a chance to review that back when we did our selected works of Stephen King uh, films. And that is a fabulous film of child actors. And all of them have gone on to do relatively decent stuff as adults, too. And any one of those kids. Yeah. buries this performance. And look, the creepy little kid in Pet Cemetery buries this kid's performance. <laughs> I mean, this this is awful. Natalie Portman, when she was a kid, buried this kid's performance. Danny yeah. you know, and the Shining. Yeah, oh my gosh, that guy's a genius compared to, cause you know, Q- Kubrick and, and Lucas. Don't even get me started, okay? So that's that's a totally different animal. But and the thing about the Danny Lloyd, he didn't even know what movie he was in. That's the, the bad part. I don't know that Jake Lloyd knew what he was in either. Maybe he did. I don't know. He talks about Star Wars a lot, but he doesn't seem to really know what the hell any of it is, you know? And you wonder if they let him see any of the other ones, or if he had to be in bed before he could watch any of them. I don't know. I, I, I'm i picking on the kid. I don't mean to do that. Because, I, I, like I said, I yeah. feel sorry for the guy. Because I'm like, that would that would suck. I mean, I know he's famous, and he's probably got a lot of money and stuff, but I'm sure he hates being known for this. And if you look at him today, he looks nothing like this anymore. I'm, yeah good for him that he grew out of it but he's horrible and again the thing is is that he's not relatable the thing about luke when you saw mark hamill the first time the first time he was on screen you totally related to him and everything that he did that the first three minutes he's on the screen you're totally invested in him this kid you're like what language is this guy speaking he's talking about being a pilot and is he is he hitting on this girl is he hitting on the queen are you an angel? Did it hurt when you fell from heaven? I bet that was a cut line. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the, that particular that, the relationship between uh, Anakin and Padme works okay in the next two movies, but just the, the age difference is Natalie Portman's not that she's only like I guess five years older, but the the size difference alone just makes it very creepy. Th- there's an intense
0: there's a big difference between a nine-year-old boy and a 14-year-old girl. Yeah. I mean, light years difference. Girls mature way faster than boys. She's at a totally different place as a human and even he is. Not even mentioned just physically, but mentally, too. Yeah. That, that he would be her kid brother. And I guess that, that does explain some of the way she treats him in the next movie. But, I, oh, God, it's just so weird. and. I don't know. I, I just don't I don't I don't buy the performance at all. I don't buy what's happening. And the other thing is that, they. you know, did he have to be the one that built C-3PO? Like, why the hell do we have to shove that in here, too? Couldn't he just have been a protocol droid they picked up somewhere else along the way?
1: Yeah, that that real that bugs me the more I think about it. It's like Anakin's Darth Vader built C three PO. Can you make this universe any smaller, George? I,
0: yeah, it's, that I thought about that when I was watching this again this time because you had mentioned that specifically in the last podcast, and I thought, you know, that's exactly right. This is way too small. This is a, a, a universe, and it revolves around twelve people. <laughs> no, it's like what in the hell <laughs> sparsely populated I don't, I don't know i i really I don't, I don't have anything else to say about 3po and then his his juvenile humor is just ridiculous and we get a lot of jar jar humor in there and I'd like to have known, known a lot more about where darth maul came from you know he gets yeah. sent down there to look for him and then you don't see him again for another 20 minutes but i don't know it's uh, very very strange so um but they yeah, they take refuge in anakin's uh place with his mother we've learned that he's a slave and his mother's a slave and that they've been traded around by different people through you know whatever plot point to plot point it doesn't matter i mean it really doesn't it, none of it means anything because it, it's all just uh am a guffin on how they're going to get him out of there right but Um he's having this whole conversation and I caught it this time, this whole this whole foreshadowing about he calls out that Qui-Gon's a Jedi and he says, Well, you know, you do things like Jedi and you carry laser swords, those are the only people that do that and you know, plus, you know, nobody can and I love what Qui Gon says to him, he's like, Well what if I killed a Jedi and stole it from him? And he says nobody can kill a Jedi, and I love the look on. It's the best acting Neeson does the whole film. Is like I wish that was true. That's and exactly yeah. A, again, you know, it's like well, he knows what's up, you know, and that's that's a good. I mean, it's maybe it's a little one oh one, but at least it is decent foreshadowing because he is going to die in the next hour. Or so yeah, and, yeah,
1: but, and uh, I think in that scene, uh, in that scene, I think Anakin, there's a, it's a throwaway line. I never realized until now. He says, "Yeah, I had a dream that I was a Jedi and I freed all the slaves," and it's like that comes out of nowhere and they uh that would have been nice if they it would have been nice if they somehow measured if he said something like i dreamt i was the most powerful person in the universe or some kind of thing that would lead you down to darth vader but it just it just like anakin the the, pat Oswalt uh nailed it (laughs) in his stand-up when he's like you know here we go. Prequel to Star Wars. Oh, this is going to be amazing. Hey, you like Darth Vader? Oh, man, he's badass with the the cape and the sword. Well, here he is as a little kid. It's like, <laughs> oh. And he, yeah. as, he, as he points out, I was like, I don't care where the stuff I love comes from. I just love the stuff I love. And <laughs> well- I'll...
0: I think you can do good backstory. I, this has been done. Look, Batman Begins is a great you know, yeah. prequel-type backstory. It can be done. I mean, you can yes, do can. these things. Um, but <clears throat> when they are four statues like this, and it, again, there seems to be no focus on the script. The script doesn't really start focusing itself until we get right at the end of Act 2, and we're, we're almost to it. But I, I got questions about... Shamie Skywalker here. How does she know, one, about who the Jedi are? And she says this whole bit about, oh, Anakin, I knew you were supposed to meet them or something. I'm like, does she get clairvoyance too? Hmm. And then what is this whole virgin birth bullshit that she lays on on Qui-Gon? I'm sorry. I'm like, there's no need for Darth Vader to be pseudo-Jesus. Okay, that is not appropriate. It's the first problem I have with the retconning of the Force in this movie.
1: Yeah, the... Like Qui Gon, when Qui Gon asked who was his father, uh, it would have been uh, it would have been nice if there was literally a father. Or If she said, I, I don't know how to, how to uh, how to solve that. I mean, uh, there's there, there's some speculation that that Palpatine m- might literally be Anakin's father, and it would have been nice if she said there was a guy once at like at a. Or something. If she, like, let's say she was a, like a prostitute, like that would make it a little bit. Uh that would make more sense if she was a prostitute and she had and her, and uh, she, oh you
0: can't you can't do that in a PG movie though, no you true. can't but. yeah that's that's the problem no I'm, it could have been you know a man I once knew who then went away to another planet and I never saw him again you know the, you can play it a lot of different ways the fact that she does this I mean and it's oh it's horrible line readings too this whole I, I carried him he was born but there was no father I'm like oh my god really I mean I even in 1999 I was sitting in the theater going what. and luckily they kind of blow by it and they won't really spend a lot of time on this again because I think even Lucas realized how lame that was once he saw it I mean that is such a bad idea but then the second problem with the retconning of the force the blood type of the force carriers (laughs) the midichlorians Kurt the midichlorians
1: blood type F
0: (laughs) yeah at at a count of 20,000 20,000 what yeah, like it doesn't even sound like a high number. Really. I, know, it's like, I know, like that's. I mean, you got to give me something comparable to like you say Yoda's is not that high. I say yeah. Yoda's is only like eight hundred. Like just know?
1: say it's just say like I can't even read it. It's off the scale, but like twenty thousand, like it's like say it's five billion. Like what? Like <laughs> it's a small number.
0: Yeah, I don't. It's so strange, and I don't. Why? What do you? <coughs> don't know, excuse me. What do you think the motivation was? Because I've never heard him explain it behind we've got to turn the force into like bacteria almost. It's got to come down to that level. I mean, talk about ripping the spirituality out of your fantasy.
1: Yeah, uh, metachlorians. Now, metachlorians works for me if if they used a plot device involving taking the blood of a Jedi and putting him into the clone army and making an army of Jedi, if they used something with the Metaclorians, did something cool like that, then yeah. I'd buy it. But like, clearly, uh, Lucas uh, totally backpedaled, and the Metaclorians are kind of... They're not mentioned at all in Episode 2, and they're mentioned in one scene in Episode 3 that I'll, I'll get to that I actually love. But yeah, it, it, it they... He tries to put something like tries to give something physical to the Force. It's like all you need is this, and you have the Force. And uh, and I, I yeah, just I, I don't buy it. And I've seen the, I've seen the cuts where they take out the word Metachlorian, and all of those scenes play better.
0: Oh yeah, we're we're gonna talk about the you know, different cuts of this that are out there. We get to that at the end of this thing because I, I have words to say about that. But uh, this is whole is Anakin Skywalker like a super Jedi, and he doesn't know it. And that's what it's supposed to come off like, and it's very, very weird. But all this is a setup because to get the parts they need, they can't use Republic credits. Now I picked up something on that, and that whole conversation back and forth with Watto there. It was like, hmm. Even in the days of you know, quote peace with the Republic or whatever, you see how disorganized the galaxy is. Mm-hmm. Like you can't even you. I mean, you've got all these interstellar space travel. You can't get a damn simple bit of currency that everybody will take (laughs) we we, we haven't figured that out on earth yet either you know so i you know i'm looking at ourselves but you know they certainly hadn't figured it out there and i like that though i like that there are flaws in it like there's you can see the crumbling of the foundation there in front of you because that should have worked i mean it works it works here it should have worked there like all money is anyway is a uh, a demolition as it is we just agree on what the value is and when you've got people that disagree you get outliers like this so i like that little that little uh macguffin and plot setup that to get all this they you know anakin's built a pod and so they're like okay we're going to enter you in a pod race and we'll get waddo to stake us this and this uh, this whole like back and forth it's actually the best thing that Qui-Gon does because he learns he can't do jedi mind tricks in this little you know flying bug so he essentially cons him <laughs> you know, into you put up the money for the race, and then if we win, you give me the parts I want. You keep all the money, and you also give me the boy. Is what they ultimately work out on. Now, he wants the boy and his mother, but he can only ultimately get the boy. But I have to ask. It, I mean, is that even remotely ethical? What he does, he turns the cube that they throw over it to be the side of Anakin. Like he makes yeah. a choice to do that.
1: He's cheating, uh, and you know, Jedi <laughs> yeah. are supposed to be the guys that don't cheat.
0: Yeah, like, they don't need to cheat. They're supposed to be above that shit, right? Absolutely. Uh, but but yet, he does. So that's that's it. But it sets up this whole pod race bit. Now, I will say this. A lot of people will argue, and I don't think it's a, a, a very weak argument at all, that this film only exists to see if this scene would have worked. Hmm. And it seems like just, you know, everything was about this. And I remember the trailer. The thing that got me most, you know, starstruck about it was – what is this little flying thing where they're ripping through the canyons at like 5 million miles an hour? You know, it looks like they're having like a NASCAR race or something in the middle of nowhere. And I, what is this? The pod race. Ten minutes of just effects galore.
1: Yeah, I have no problems with that pod race. Uh, that is a fantastic uh, action scene. And just as another you know, addition to Star Wars, I just love this idea of the pod race, like this mm-hmm. sci-fi version of chariot race yes Uh, and i love it's like you know it beats speed Racer to the punch in terms of literally just insanely these insane cars going at insane speeds on insane terrain and that scene is i think it's so it's damn near flawless i think it's because no one says anything for 10 minutes uh, (laughs) and there's really no character development or anything it's just it's just nothing but effects and action and kind of what we came for star wars in the first place and it's it actually is very good
0: Oh, it looks amazing. I would only argue that it maybe goes on a little long. Like it feels yep. like it's a lap too long, but <laughs> I get I get that it's three laps. Like that makes it that makes it a good race. Like it's very interesting that way, and you, see, you get to see the back and forth. I liked all the characters. I like the Saboba character. I thought that dude was cool. I don't know what he was or what he was supposed to be, but he looked like somebody you don't want to mess with. And I love how all the the crashes happen. Like you know, I grew up in the south here, man. Like I've been to hmm. NASCAR races. You go to NASCAR races because you're looking for the wreck. Okay, I grew up not far from. Town. I've seen it. Okay. I mean, that's, you go to see just the awful stuff that people walk away from. It's a really sick sport. But, it's fun to watch, too, and I have friends that are big horse racing fans and stuff like that, too, and they love to go, not for the gambling, because they love to watch these horses just gut it out you know, for one <laughs> lap or whatever. And it's very much like a cross between NASCAR, chariot races, horse racing, all that stuff. I, I get it. I, I think it's cool and you've hit on it, there's not a lot of dialogue. And yeah. the only dialogue that really happens is from comedian Greg Proops, who's the <laughs> two-headed alien thing. Love that guy. If you've seen Who's Loud and Anyway*, people, you've seen him, but if that's all you know him from, he was an incredible stand-up, and I saw him years ago and uh, i i knew that voice the second he hit it on the screen i was like (laughs) that is greg and sure enough it is so that great great moment but i i cannot stand anakin skywalker when he tries to celebrate winning he is so annoying. <laughs> uh. Yippee! Oh, God, we get all of that over and over again. So it's horrible. So he leaves, he gets his freedom, and he gets ready to leave. And I'm like, Shami is now officially the worst mother in cinema history ever. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't she just go, oh, you want him in a bit? Well, that's awesome. But aren't you a Jedi? Can't you just go ahead and take me, too? Can I just <laughs> go, ahead and go Why do I got to stay? <laughs> so like I, that uh, that always has rubbed me the wrong way. And I know what they're doing. They're trying to build this idea that that's one thing that's always going to hold Anakin back or whatever. But I I don't know. I didn't really get that they were that close to begin with. I mean I, maybe it's just the actors weren't giving it to me or there wasn't enough there to set it up. But I, it, it would have played that would have played more convincingly if it had been a teenage Anakin. Like it's time for you to go, son. Not let me send my third grader off <laughs> on the galaxy with this stranger.
1: Yeah, like just you know to, to compare one more time to uh, Game of Thrones, like uh, that mother should have been like a Catelyn Stark, and Anakin yes. should have been like should have been like Rob or Bran, like that kind of uh, of a relationship. Like I think of that moment with uh, like when she when Anakin says goodbye to his mother, that should have been like that moment when uh, when Rob Stark and Catelyn like will you know then will kill them all when they're just you know embracing and and, and both crying. Like it should have been that kind of power. That moment should have brought me to tears. And I'm just I'm, – instead, I'm just looking at my watch like, yeah, when's that Darth, when Darth Maul showing up again with the uh, with the lightsaber fight?
0: <laughs> yeah, when's that coming? Yeah, and the good answer for you is that in just a minute. He rolls in on his motorcycle or whatever it is, and he and Qui-Gon have about a 12-second fight. But I will dare say it's the most interesting 12 seconds outside of the pod race that this yeah. movie has staged at all. And, yeah. I, you know, because Qui-Gon just gets away. He gets on the ship. They blast off. And he's like out of breath. Like, what the hell was that? Yeah. <laughs> you know and I, i'm like okay when the master jedi is stumped we're all screwed <laughs> like that's a problem And i like that they set that up that way though that they tease us with that fight because the temptation would have been to go ahead and let's have that blow out now too and i'm glad that they didn't do that
1: Yeah that i, I everything about the way qui-gon reacts to that fight and the fight itself I like the idea of in within this universe that this is the first lightsaber fight anyone's had in a thousand years, and that it's a big deal. Like no one's ever had to fight. Like no Jedi's ever actually had to deal with someone as good as them before, and it is a big deal. And it gives the Jedi Council pause, and and you know, and it it said so they don't really. Uh, <laughs> that, that doesn't uh, add up to much uh, in the end, but it's like it, it, the seeds are planted for like a real good story involving you know, like for one thing, when they say the Sith have returned, I kind of maybe think there's going to be like another. 5,000 of these Darth Maul guys somewhere, but really it's still just this one guy, and that makes this Darth Maul guy seem that much more impressive and much more of a mystery of where did this guy come from, and if he's that powerful, how did he get taken out relatively so easily?
0: Yeah, when, when he fall, finally does go down, we'll get to that in a minute, but it, you're right, they're, they're setting all of this up, because the Jedi take the Queen back to the capital's planet of Coruscant, right? Right. And this is where we get our great Terrence Stamp moment is totally wasted in this movie where she goes in there and through suggestion, almost hypnotically, she's given the idea. Well, if somebody were to uh, say that the chancellor wasn't doing a very good job, we could just go ahead and impeach him. And then, uh, you know, somebody more. uh, Fitting to our cause could possibly rise to this, and I'm like, if you are, if you're not already picking up that Darth Sidious and Senator Palpatine are one and the same, hmm. then I please do not procreate or drive, uh, because <laughs> th- it's it's pretty obvious, and I'm okay that it's that obvious, because th- again, it's the worst kept secret in this whole. You know, series. The fact that it's a secret to one side and that the audience is in on it, I think is okay. I, I kind of like that because that gives political intrigue films something to do. When you know who the bad guy is but the other side doesn't seem to get it, that's okay. I mean, you don't have to keep shrouding it in mystery because there's no damn mystery about it. It's obvious who's pulling the strings here.
1: Yeah, and I, I actually I take it back. There is one laugh and one laugh only. It's at the very end of the movie when Palpatine meets Anakin and he says... Hey, Anakin Skywalker, yeah, we'll be watching your career with great interest. And that, that to me, like, because that's a total wink at the audience of this is the Emperor and Darth Vader meeting.
0: That's the <laughs> if, only... If the, makes if, me the last, if the last two and a half hours I haven't convinced you this guy's bad news, here's yeah. one line to go ahead and throw it over the edge. You're right. But we have that... And then we have Qui Gon and the Jedi Council. And he's trying to train Anakin as a Jedi. And I love that they brought Yoda back here. And it's not totally decrepit Yoda, though he still looks old. And Yoda is questioning Anakin. And he's doing all these little tests. Like, I don't, it's almost like. Uh, the tests in Ghostbusters that Bill Murray's yeah. doing on the hot girl, you know, I mean, they're they're really no more complicated than that. What's on the card? Do you have ESP? You know, is that all it takes to be a Jedi? Because damn, I thought it was a little more involved than that.
1: Yeah, they should be like, you know, here, you know, what can you do with this lightsaber? Hey, lift up that, lift up this thing I'm holding, or or something. Because like, that would have been another thing they should have done with Anakin. If he's all this this immaculate conception, the Jesus Christ of the force on Tatooine in that shop, he should have been lifting everything in that shop with his mind. Like here's this, you know, and fixing the pod wrench, like, like Magneto, like 50 different wrenches, uh, you know, switching everything up. And
0: exactly. Yeah, no, they couldn't do that. Of course so yeah. it's, and it's also, you can get this whole line about, you know, Oh, his future is clouded by fear, you know, or whatever, however Yoda says it, fear clouds his future. It may be, or whatever he says, and you get Qui-Gon pushing, for it you know he's like i'm going to train him personally and they keep saying no you're not he's too old (laughs) you know and i'm like wait wait a minute luke luke was too old and then he wasn't (laughs) i'm like how old do you got to be that's something i'm going to knock this film for i wanted to know damn it what does it take to become a jedi can we get a little bit more of that process explained I mean we don't need more sitting around talking but can you at least walk us through like the jedi training academy and show us like look yeah. he hadn't done this yet he's behind on this and like give us something but be- just besides I didn't like the way he answered my holographic test questions
1: yeah there's there's just that that's another missing scene is I think episode two should have opened with uh like whatever these like there's a throwaway line of he, like, Obi-Wan, oh, he's ready for the trials. I want to see those trials. Well, like, whatever these yeah. trials are that you need to be ready for, like if it involves a lightsaber fight where you have to kill the other guy or whatever it is, I want to see that. And that's what, how Episode 2 should have opened. Show us that Anakin has passed these trials now and that he's a Jedi Knight or, or something. But it's just...
0: Well, hey, why not show us uh, Obi-Wan having to do that shit this time? Because supposedly yeah. he's now ready for it. And I'm like, well... I mean, again, knowing that process would have let us know how far ahead or behind he really was. Because that's what... Qui Gon says is like hey, well, he's ready to go. He don't need me no more. I got my new thing, you know. And I'm like, well, that's that seems kind of lame, man. You just threw off your, your apprentice like that. That's that's maybe he's not ready. You know, we don't know. I don't know. It's I think we're you know somewhere in George Lucas's mind that's well, this is where it all started to unravel because Qui Gon Jinn got so obsessed with Anakin that he you know turned Obi Wan into a Jedi before he was ready, and then one thing led to another, and he wasn't ready to train him, and yada yada. But I, I, if that's what we're supposed to get out of this, it's fairly. Very poorly explained and poorly formed.
1: Yeah, this Jedi is a good time to talk about the Jedi Council. Now, I'm taking this from uh, David Chen. I heard him say this on the Slash Film Podcast, and he's absolutely right. Is uh, I never occurred to me that here we have, you know, like uh, 1999, 22 years after the start of uh, the Star Wars saga, and this is the big follow-up. I've been waiting a long time for this, and there are, and in all the prequel trilogy, there are so many scenes. Of people sitting around in a council room, talking about stuff, and yeah. that that occurs to me now is that like that diff- that's what differs from this and uh, the rest of the Star Wars movies is we keep coming back to Coruscant. In mm-hmm. all the other movies, we're moving from pl- we're constantly moving. That's kind of what gets the excitement to all the movies is we're moving from place to place. We just keep coming back to Coruscant, the same planet this whole time. And I, by the end of it, I did get sick of this very impressive city planet. But by the end of the three movies, I was sick of seeing this place.
0: Well, I would only defend it in this that you're moving in those first three films because if you're following the plight of the Rebels, they have to keep moving. Yeah, they have to keep going places that's actually a part of their story I like that there's a central place where the capital city where it's all going to go down and where it's all going to erode from underneath like I'm okay with that what I don't like is all of the sitting and talking and not the walking and showing like they needed Aaron Sorkin on this we needed to be having some conversations while we're while we're taking a stroll you know really like I you know look I you know, I just got done reviewing seven seasons of Bobby the Vampire Slayer <laughs> and every season there's a place where they go to hang out and talk and do the exposition and they like went through painstaking ways to come up with new ways to shoot that stuff every time if it's in the library or somebody's apartment Whatever. And Brian and I talk about that a lot. And at no time do I get, I mean, I always think, like, I'm about to get tired of the library. I'm about to get tired of Giles' house or whatever. And I never do. And it's because they know how to keep it moving and keep them moving. The problem with this dialogue is there's really nothing there. There's some chairs and a green screen. And there's nothing for these people to act off of. Actors up until this point had never had to act against things like that. So, again, yeah. I, I feel for them for not having anything to work off of you know, other than each other. And sometimes they weren't even in the same room, you know, it looked like. So I, I don't know. It it would be a nightmare to try to get around in all of that. But there's so much exposition. You're right uh, in this. But none of it matters. None of it leads to anything. It's all just talk. And that's what kills me, is that there's 20 minutes of this that could have just been cut. That's just useless explanation for explanation's sake.
1: Absolutely. These Jedi count. This Jedi Council... I never liked these guys. I mean, yeah. this Mace, this, like, I like, I like of course, you love Yoda, but this Mace Windu, I've, I mean, Samuel L. Jackson is an amazing actor, but I just, I never, I hated this character. Like, half decent performance, pers- maybe, in, in the movies, but I just hated this character. I just thought, man, this guy's a dick. He doesn't yeah. believe, you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of, uh, What's his name on Game of Thrones? Like the the head of the Night's Watch who doesn't believe anything Jon Snow said.
0: Exactly, and- yes. He's that guy. He's oh god, I can't remember the character's name now either. But um I yeah. no, I know, I know who you're talking about. That's exactly right. He's so annoying and this. I'm just keep waiting for him to die. You know, yeah. but I'm like but it's Samuel L. Jackson, so you know, they're not gonna do that, you know, this quick. Obviously, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't blame him for taking it. Hell, you know, they asked me to be in a Star Wars movie. I'd do it too. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, he, I
1: think he came to Lucas and said, "Hey, can I be in it?" He's a because ma- Samuel Jackson is a massive geek. Yeah, uh, he's a massive comic book guy, and that's one of the reasons he did Unbreakable, and and he was a massive Star Wars fan. It's like, hey, what? I don't care. Like, I'll I'll be in the movie, and and it gives him this part of Mace Windu, and should have been. An amazing part, and it would have been good if Mace Windu was in the action more, per, or something. If he went, like if he, uh, if he was just in the movie more. But it's,
0: he stands out as a weak character to me. He is, he is a weak character, and even Yoda is kind of weak. This council seems totally ineffective. We don't know what their role is. Well, you know, apparently they're sought after to basically be the governing military force of the the capital or whatever, but they don't really seem to have any power to do anything. They're sent to negotiate for trade federations. Like again, they don't, they don't seem to be any more important than just in their own little realm. And actually what I get out of it is when all those generals are sitting around in episode four and they're looking at Darth Vader going like, how do you follow that old whacked out religion? Like you can see the seeds of that being planted here though. Like these people are only important in their own little world. Still nobody else gives a damn what any of them think.
1: Yeah, they don't uh, measure up to uh, this. Like when you, I, I, I don't know what to compare it to the way Obi Wan described what the Jedi used to be. I'm trying to think of something like like a, a samurai culture that uh, yeah. To me, gar- like a,
0: Guardians of peace throughout the entire galaxy is the phrase. And really, these guys. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like I, actually in. Uh, in extra in, in Star Wars uh, expanded universe, this concept of the old Republic—that is the Jedi stuff I was thinking of. Where they made a point of when they make when they made the first uh, old Republic games, this isn't just a few dozen nights. There are literally hundreds of thousands of these guys. There's one in on every planet kind of thing. That's the kind of uh, Jedi force I was expecting in these prequel right. trilogies. Instead, it's just like. There's, there's less than 100 of them, it looks like.
0: Yeah, and there's 12 guys that sit around in the room and decide everything for the rest of them. Like, it just seems so, I don't know, ineffectual. You know? This would have been a chance, too, for Valorum to show back up. Like, what if he goes into the Jedi Council and says, Okay, I've just been forcefully removed as Chancellor, basically, because I know something's up. And I think it's Palpatine. And let's just go ahead and blow that now. Why keep that in in secret? Why couldn't he be one of the things that ultimately gets killed by maybe Darth Maul in the third act here? You know, like, we'll let Valorum try to get the Jedis to lead an insurrection with him. That would have been cool, right? Half a dozen Jedis, even if it's only that small number, going against, uh, you know, the... The Federation, well, I don't know, you you've got that would have added another layer to this, but it at least would have been something for that character to do, and it would have made him going off of the screen more memorable as it is. He sits down and we never see him again, ever.
1: Yeah, it's a total waste. In the same year that, you know, Terrence Stamp was in the Limey giving a performance he should have won an Oscar for, and I'll tell you, this didn't occur to me until right now. I like Christopher Lee in the next two movies, that should have been Terrence Stamp. Yes, like, and that's exactly the way that character goes, and the way he's taken out. That should have been him. Would have been like,
0: well, to it totally him up made as, sense. Yeah. he has
1: a reason. To, he has absolutely a reason to feel resentful towards the Republic and everything. And instead, he's just and he's never not even like showing up in a council scene. It would have been like, it would have been okay as like a as a character who like created the Alliance in the first place, the Rebel Alliance. But instead, yeah, they just they just toss him away. You got Terrence Stamp, and we're just gonna have him say three lines. The, you know, waste of an actor.
0: And I know, and I know it's not, it's not earth politics. You can't apply earth logic to it, Jay or whatever, but look, name me the last politician that was disgraced that went away quietly.
1: And they're, and they're
0: yeah, going. never. Okay? <laughs> you know, they don't. That's This would have not gone down this way. He would have either been killed, something like that needed to happen. It was just a waste, not only of, of an actor, and it was a waste of an actor, but it's a waste of a character. There's no reason for him to exist. When we spend all this time on the Gungan, who doesn't need to be there anymore, you know, or on this decoy versus that, all that stuff going on. And even the queen herself, after what she gets, what she wants Right, like she says, I you know I I w- I'm glad you're chancellor now or whatever. Great, I'm going back to Naboo, and the chancellor's like, or the new you know to be chancellor's like, what? Why are you going back there? I'm going to go die with my people or whatever. I'm like, why? You know, like th- there's no reason really given for her other than she just doesn't like to be on Coruscant anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's so so. I don't thin is the word I keep coming back to.
1: Yeah, it's 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 tough watching the movie it's not uh, it's not 100 clear what's happening why qui-gon and obi-wan are going back to naboo why the queen is going back why she's not just waiting for the for for i don't know more jedi or more help because she's going back with, like she doesn't really have a plan he's like hoping maybe the gungans will help or something but it's just, yeah just, she's, she's not not thinking straight at but all yeah
0: Jar is the one that gives her that is like, oh, the reason the boo doesn't like the Gungans is because we have an army and y'all are pacifists and don't have an army. And she uses that to her advantage. Like, hey, let's uh let's go and get your army then. If you got if you say you've got a real army, we'll go and take on the droids straight up. You know, and I mean even when she goes back and meets with the Gungans, I'm like, Man, the deal with them, that uh, I don't know, that, that didn't take much. A little little humility goes a long way, I guess. They sure are easy to impress. Because they have the fake yeah. queen talking and then the real one jumps out <laughs> and I was like, oh no, don't listen to this one. This one may be clean a droid, so I'm gonna take her I'm gonna embarrass her in front of everybody. So I don't know, I don't know what that's all about. But that needed to be set up a little bit more. It just all gets done out in the middle of the woods, you know. And again, I don't I don't understand why Obi Wan and Qui-Gon are there. Are the, are they the you know direct protectorate of the queen? She has her own security force. What are they supposed to do? Shouldn't they stay in Coruscant? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, a lot of
1: characters are coming back to the booth that don't need to that don't need to be there. Uh, like why Jar Jar like Jar Jar comes back is one that makes sense. Why R two is coming back, I don't know. Why they brought Anakin with them is a real mystery to me.
0: Well, that's the whole thing is Qui Gon is is bent on training the boy, and he tells him, you know, like I can't train you right now, but I just want you to stick close to me and watch and all this stuff. And I'm like, what is Qui-Gon sensing that the council doesn't about this kid? Is it just, is he just caught up in the midichlorian count? What, I mean, he never voices other than he just believes this is the chosen one that'll bring balance to the force. Well, I need to see that prophecy. You know, I'm okay if you want to have vague prophecy about a, about a major character, you know, hell, the whole episode and, you know, series of Angel is based around that prophecy and they play with that all through all five seasons of that thing. Fine, but at least you know, give it to me. Tell me what it is, other than just these vague, sort of hushed, reverential tones about it.
1: Oh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, Yoda should be looking. Should take about five seconds to look at Anakin and say, "Yeah, there's something up with this guy." But yeah, I, but no, they 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 don't they don't really fulfill that uh, chosen one prophecy very much at all. Uh, Obi wan has a has a, a nice way of uh, referring to it in episode three at the end of all things, but they don't, it doesn't, uh, doesn't pay off. It would have been, it would have been better if just Anakin was just another a Jedi. Cause they like Obi-Wan never says anything about, yeah, I met this guy, Anakin Skywalker, and he was the chosen one of the force like that, you know, that, yeah, that's that, just, thrown in for Phantom Menace.
0: Yeah. And, and I get that. I mean, that's that's fine if they want to, they want to play with it, but at least explain it to me again. the The problem I'm having here is I think there's a lot of good ideas. It's just all executed. So poorly. Yeah, that's that's been my problem. I'm two thirds of the way through this film, or even more now. At this morning, three fourths of the way through it, and I don't care about anything that's happened except for who won that pod race because that was cool, and I want to <laughs> know who this Darth Maul is. But everybody else, I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, like I, I don't care. It doesn't mean anything. And so now we're going to get the gun guns and the the battle. Well, you know, the battle of course has to be just like Return of the Jedi. We got to have three things going on at the same time.
1: We got four things going on in this one. Oh, well, that's got... right.
0: Yeah, yeah, we do have four. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, you got uh, you got what's going on with the spaceships. You got what's going on with Amidala in the ca- in the palace. You got Darth Maul and Obi Wan, and you got the the battle on uh, with the the Gungans and the and the droids. So it's a repeat of Jedi, except in that one, there were you know two out of three were pretty good, and this one one out of four is is <laughs> worth watching.
0: It, it exactly. But now I'll say this: the setup. The, the look of the droid army rolling out versus the Gungan army, that looks awesome. That is amazing looking. I mean, you see it repeated uh, you know in every kind of movie now, right? But that's the stuff Stanley Kubrick dreamed of in that non-made Napoleon movie. You know, like, how can we make it look like these massive armies going at each other? The problem is, is that the fight is ultimately kind of, eh, you know, but yeah. it, it looks great on paper.
1: I, uh, it, uh, it absolutely it's clearly something Lucas uh, wanted to do with CG, a big giant battle involving nothing but CGI characters, and I think that's one of the reasons why I don't care. Is like Lord of the Rings, <laughs> it's all about the mesh. Like all those uh, battles that there's you know there's a hundred guys and there's also like all everyone the orcs and the humans and elves or whatever are all actually there. Like we can feel it, you can see it, and so on. And and, and with uh, with this battle, it's just nothing. It's just you know i hate i don't sometimes i don't like when people say it when they say this but it's like yeah it's just like it's just a just a cartoon but it's not a good cartoon and also i noticed uh for some that battle the field of the battle for some reason struck me as like very poor cg like literally it's a 100%, 100% blank grass field there's no trees there's no mountains yeah. in the back in the in the in the horizon's it's just it's it, it almost looks like they forgot to put uh
0: Anything there? It's I, uh, you know what I say. They needed Bob Ross somewhere on the team to paint a couple <laughs> happy trees in the damn thing because you're right. It's just a bunch of grass in the yeah. middle of nowhere. You know, uh, contrast this with like Braveheart, okay? The battle scenes and something like that, amazing looking, yeah. right? You know, and and on the same kind of fields allegedly, right? Yeah. But you, the, the landscape totally different. This is again, this is not shot anywhere. This is shot in uh, a PC. You know, it's made in a computer environment. It's not a real place. And so it makes it impossible to to like. But I like the Gungans weapons. I like their energy balls and all that stuff. I do think that's kind of cool. You know, the the fight, their fight isn't is not that satisfying, but it's at least an attempt. And visually, it looks good. The space fight. Let's just talk about the starfighters now before Anakin gets in one. Just them. What are they trying to do exactly? I don't get it. Like, they get free. They free the pilots because they take over the vice. They, we'll get to that in a second. But they free the pilots so the pilots can go fly up to the droid ship for what? Because they don't seem to be attacking. They just seem to be flying around it. Are they trying to annoy it? Cause <laughs> that, it really looks like what they're doing.
1: Yeah, they, they're definitely not. You definitely want to hear someone on the radio like, uh, "What is the plan here, fellas?" Because uh, it, it would have been interesting if the Starfighters went to the Gungan battle and you just helped out there. That would have been. Yeah, why
0: not okay. strafe through the through the droid army? Yeah. By the way, for a society that doesn't have an army, why do they have an air force? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't that doesn't really work. I, I mean, I don't know. I you know everything works in symbiosis in the military. Okay, I don't yeah. I don't get it. I, this it doesn't matter because those are not transport ships. Those ships are built for speed and shooting stuff. Those are the P-51 Lightning's of the <laughs> Star Wars universe, if you will. And they they are there to shoot at stuff, and they don't... They're not really good at it. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. So um, that fight, not very good. Now, the queen storming the palace and stuff, well, you know, like we talked about it before, it's amazing that the pacific society has guns in everywhere, hmm. you know, in there. But for a queen, uh, Amidala's a pretty good shot. I'm like, yeah. okay, well, you kind of see where Leia gets the shooting from. So, <laughs> like, like, you know, I guess that's what that's supposed to get to. But I always have a problem when we put, like, the high-level leader in the thick of the fight, you know, we talked about it when we reviewed Independence Day, right? Like, <laughs> you get it? Why the president, You was like, no one would allow that to happen. They would have knocked him out <laughs> and taken him back inside. That would not have been allowed to go down. And the fact that he's a big part of the end of it's just, it's one step too far.
1: Yeah, for a queen, yeah, I, I guess, uh, it's like we need that scene in Gladiator, where we see that quick, you know, four-second <laughs> shot of, of a communist practicing a fight in the woods yeah that, like because i don't know why a queen who spends all of her days sitting around in uh you know in very elaborate costumes l- learn how to defend herself uh, so well as she does in uh attack of the clones and in Phantom menace
0: yeah, that's the thing. We know nothing about her family. She's that young. Where are her parents? How did she become this? We I mean, know nothing about this girl other than she's the queen and she likes to act like she's not the queen sometimes. And she's a good shot and she can clean droids. Like I, don't, I don't know. And apparently, she looks like an angel. You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, Natalie Portman's cute, but yeah. Anyway, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't get that. It seems like they're yeah. forcing another character into a plot that they don't need to be in. But the best part of it, and the part I want to talk about. It's oh yeah, Qui Gon, Obi Wan, and Darth Maul—the <laughs> elaborate sword fight, lightsaber fight—that those three put on it, I'm going to tell you right now, Kurt. It saves the movie for me. I would oh. hate this all across the board <laughs> if it weren't for this lightsaber fight. Even though there are stupid things that happen in it, I love the fight.
1: Yeah, there is. Uh, I can complain about everything. kind of, you know, it's uh, the only problem with it is that it takes two hours to get there. But <laughs> yeah. That fight is the best thing in the movie. There's nothing to complain about. There's one plot point involving a force power that doesn't get used. But the fight itself, the choreography of that fight, is maybe the best lightsaber fight in all six films. There's one shot where it's just uh, Obi-Wan and Darth Maul going out. The shot's like, let's say, five seconds. But there are so many movements going on. It's so... Insanely choreographed, and it really looks like these two guys are trying to kill each other, and they're both selling it. And I'm like, that kind of intensity, and it, like I'm 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 feeling it, like I'm almost like I'm gripping the seat, like oh man, he's gonna get him. And it's like that's what's missing from this entire film up to now is is a se- is certainly uh, that sense of danger and in uh, intensity.
0: What's the sense of stakes? You finally get these guys against the guy they've been going after. I mean, I love how he opens the door, flips his hood back, and he's got the horns, rips out the Double edged lightsaber, and I love how Qui-Gon's like, we'll handle this. Yeah. And like the two of them go right at him. And I'm like, yes, the Jedi shoot first. They come out swinging on me. <laughs> yeah. You know, because they're like, no, 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 you are not going to be allowed to exist. And they, they go right at him. I love the choreography. It's great. The speed of it. And people complain about that. They're like, oh, it's too choreographed. I'm like, BS, it should be too choreographed. It yeah. should look like a dance. It should look amazing. And it does. It looks outstanding. Everybody. Of it but we got to talk about that problem now the force speed problem because yeah. what ultimately happens is they start chasing him back through like i guess it's the power generator of the city or something yeah and there are these little walls that pop up and in the process of that obi-wan gets separated from qui-gon and maul and he has an opportunity to use that speed force that we saw yeah. at the first of the movie to catch up and he doesn't do it
1: it's 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 like, why set that up? It, it's, it looks like a setup so that it'll happen in not only this movie, but that it'll happen in Attack of the Clones and, and in Revenge of the Sith, and it doesn't happen if, ever again. If I'm not mistaken, that is the only time we ever see Force Speed,
0: ever, except in a video game.
1: Well, te- I, when actually, I'm thinking that bit in Empire Strikes Back when Luke leaps out of the uh, the carbonite chamber, and it's like right. literally a visual effect where he's, he's a blur. Those are the only two times that we see something like that. But uh, I mean, it, it would have been something if he uses the four speed, but get b- gets blocked anyway, like just in the negative.
0: Yeah, what if it, what if he just hit like time, wall but just it just the wall and the fact and it that he just doesn't buzzed.
1: use it is just like yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, like it's like an electric fence. It won't kill you. It'll just stun you for a second. I'm like, well, okay, what if he misses? That would have made mistake. That would have made Obi-Wan's character even that much more rich. Because what we're supposed to believe is that he thinks he's ready. Qui-Gon thinks he's ready. But they're kind of wondering, is he really ready to be a Jedi? And the way he reacts in the end of this really shows you he's still learning, still young, all that stuff. But I, I don't know. I still, though, I'll say Liam Neeson, great with a sword. For a big guy, really good with a sword. Oh, yeah. Really good with it. And he and Maul, and I love how Darth Maul beats him and stabs him. It's, he doesn't trick him. He doesn't cheat him. He just bests him. He gets the better of him, hits him in the face, turns around, and just guts him with the thing. And I was yeah. like, that. I mean, I remember a, an audible gasp in the audience when we saw that happen You know, in 1999. And it still hits you. I mean, it is a, it is a moment that you just don't expect.
1: Yeah, uh, that is the most powerful moment in the movie. Uh, Obi Wan's reaction too. The uh, <laughs> that that reaction of, uh, and his uh, Ewan McGregor's acting for the next three minutes is the only emotion I bought in the entire movie. It's the only emotion someone shows in the whole goddamn movie. Is his his uh, his uh,
0: oh, he's pissed, man. Let's yeah. just say it. I mean, he he is behind that wall. Like you wait till this door opens, Mo. That's great. We're we gonna go. And and Maul is just looking at him like, bring it. You know, and I, 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 mean, I love that. I love that they built that kind of tension up. And I, again, when he comes through that door and starts wailing on him. Yeah. The only other time we've seen anything like that was when Luke just lost his shit on Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi. Exactly. And I'm like, I love that Obi-Wan is a hothead. You know, and he just loses his cool and goes at this guy, and he, and he breaks his lightsaber in half. So now he's only got one blade to fight him with. And I mean, they're going back and forth. And there's a moment. I mean, you know, Obi Wan's going to live. You just don't know how he's going to get out of it. But when he gets knocked off the end there and is just dangling, and Maul's just you know swinging the lightsaber at him, trying to cut him loose, uh, it's, it's pretty intense.
1: Oh yeah, that, yeah. Like I said, that when he comes out swinging, that's that shot I'm talking about. Like, it's a single shot there's no the camera doesn't even move it's just you know bam 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 kung, kung fu at its best and yeah the and seeing obi seeing obi-wan uh, get emotion like that we just we, all we've known of obi-wan is this you know this wizened old wizard to seem like no this guy actually uh could get angry and violent if he wanted to um
0: also to see how good he was with yeah. a lightsaber. And you see him, the way he beats Maul is, he sees qui lightsaber, because he's dropped his at that point, and he starts to move it, force move it, and Darth Maul gets this look like, there ain't no way you can do that. You're just yeah. the apprentice. And when he leaps over and grabs it, and cuts him in half, the look on Ray Park's face is perfect. It's like, son of a bitch you know how did you do that and he you know and he fall i love how he falls into two pieces as he's falling down that shaft that looks amazing that still looks good
1: yeah and yeah uh there's a good time to point out as we go through this prequel trilogy all my complaints with the trilogy i have none with what is done with obi-wan kenobi and the performance of ewan mcgregor i think that is one thing that lucas he didn't screw up there's no moment where I'm watching any of these movies where I thought that Obi-Wan move, moment sucked. I think Obi-Wan's the only character that, del- that they deliver on the idea of, you know, how did Obi-Wan get to where he is in A New Hope? Yep. It's the only one where all of it is superb because Ewan McGregor, I've heard people say this, has the toughest acting role in the in the series is that he has to play he actually does a semi impression of Alec Guinness when he when he's doing oh. in a, in these movies and he has to kind of create something fresh for the young Obi Wan like so he has the tough he has the toughest role so other people have to create something new he has to create something new and harken back to something old it's it's an odd performance so, but it, he pulls it off
0: not only something old but something old and and well regarded that's Absolutely. that's even harder to do and you know McGregor talked about it he studied Alec Guinness he brought in a dialect coach to teach him to shape his accent. Like yeah. that, you know, his Scottish accent shape it more like McGinnis. He watched him in you know movies when he was younger, and then of course watched the you know original Star Wars too. But really watched him in things like Bridge in the River Kwai and uh, Lawrence of Arabia and stuff like that yeah. to get him down. And I think he's he a really you know haven't seen those films. He's he a really good Alec Guinness. Yeah, gets like a good impression. And but it's not it's not so much of an impression that it takes me out of it because yeah. he's still adding layers to it. And I think again showing that anger and that and and the fact that it's focused anger. It's not just wild. You know, he comes in swinging and and it's crazy looking, but it's all choreographed. He's making moves. He's trying to figure it out. And he, he uses the force. He focuses on the now. Which is the thing Qui-Gon tells him twice in the movie. you got to focus on the present it's to get out of it. He realizes, okay, how am I going to get out of this? I'm hanging here. I don't have a lightsaber. Wait a minute. Qui-Gon's got one, and he doesn't know about it or doesn't think about it. I'm going to throw that thing in the air, jump up, grab it, and I'm going to kill this motherfucker right now. And I love it. I love that. That's how that goes down. Uh, it's, it's amazing. And uh, it's a really good fight. And I'm going to tell you, I think somewhere, really somewhere, like there was an early version of this where all the Jedi were going to rush in and help Obi-Wan take out darth maul i'm glad they didn't do that i'm yeah. glad it was just him and he got his his moment there because it makes so much about the way he eventually faces off with darth vader in and i'm not talking about episode three i mean in episode four it makes that fight seem so much more than even it really was the way that he backs down and you realize this guy backed down this yeah. guy that pulled this off that he would had this in his history was pretty cool to see
1: absolutely and and it's you know it's uh a genuinely badass moment when he we, we don't see exactly what Obi-Wan did i think it's it's uh, one of the only bits of really good directing and editing in the movie is we just see we hear a slice sound a bit of flash of red and Darth Maul falls back so we think that he stabbed him through the stomach or something and then <laughs> i think it's a it's a very nice uh visual effects gag that we see him fall and we see that his the two halves of the body come apart and he tumbles down. That's, that's yeah. the second of two laughs of the 300 other failed jokes in the movie.
0: But, well, it was a cheer moment. I mean, I, oh, I yeah. do remember, you know, both times I saw it in the theater, people were like audibly like, hell yeah. Woo. You know, people were into that. It was, it was a moment when people really dug it and, and it's pointing at the end, you know, Qui-Gon's not dead. He's dying, you know, and he goes over there and you know his last words are like, promise me you'll train him, promise me you'll train him. And then he dies in his arms. And I was like, that is, you talk about, man, your, your your mentor dies right there in front of you. I mean, that's, it's one thing to see him get struck down. It's another for him to still be there long enough to tell you and set you on your path. Um, very cool. We haven't talked about the space battle. And in the midst of freeing the um, pilots and sending them on their way and then getting to fight Darth Maul, they stick... Um, Anakin, in a, somehow or another, he gets in one of the starfighters, and then it automatically uploads uh, R2 into it, and then it, I don't know, he shuts the canopy and, like, it takes off. It's on autopilot. But the, the thing about the autopilot that it gets me, Kurt, is that it pilots him into the battle and through the battle. It's like, at some point, <laughs> shouldn't it be like, you are now on manual control? <laughs> like, what does it do? Who is autopiloting it where? And when did they have time to program it to go take out the droid ship? That didn't make any damn sense.
1: Well, I always bought that as that R2 was flying the ship. That's R2 oh. uh, uh, piloting the ship and wanting to help out and be a part of the battle. So that I like. That's R2. This is R2 flying the ship.
0: I never thought of it that way. Interesting point.
1: Because, yeah, because Anakin, Anakin, this nine-year-old kid who's never fired a gun in his life, being such a good fighter pilot, it's like, that's
0: that's stupid. <laughs> It's very weird. I mean, he goes around and he shoot I and he, some of the worst dialogue poor Jake Lloyd is asked to deliver in this. Like, I'll try spinning, you know, or yeah. I'll let's go left. I'm That's like, a good trick. Yeah. No, no, it's not. it's <laughs> so like why would that matter? You know, yeah. you've you've just made your target space. I mean, it's a flat target space, you've just increased it. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't I, you know but of course he blows the the he crash lands in the uh the droid uh ship and then just starts firing off lasers and torpedoes and blows it up from the inside out almost well I mean totally by accident. <laughs> like he has no idea what the hell he's just doing. And are is it only droids in the ship or did the little kid just murder a lot of people?
1: Yeah, there's probably a whole <laughs> there's probably a 50,000 of those Trade Federation race people that are
0: I yeah, I know i still. I sound like one of Kevin Smith's people from Clerks, right? But I'm really, it's the same kind of, I'm like, really? Do we need the little kid to do that? Like, is it was that necessary? We've already proven how skilled a pilot he is. The pod race proved that. I didn't need this to prove to me. But it's because they got to do something with Anakin. They can't just have him sit over in the corner and go, Well, wow, that was a badass lightsaber fight. Right? Yeah me. Or maybe, if you wanted to do something with him, what if he is running down that hall and he finally gets there after Obi-Wan kills Maul, and he's there when Qui-Gon says, promise me you'll train him. Like, that would have worked. I would have gone okay with that. Uh, yeah, that, that,
1: that would have been fine. Also, the fact that Anakin takes out the uh, mothership, very independent state, takes out the mothership, and all the droids just deactivate, it really makes, uh, the, Gungans look, it makes the Gungans look very weak. Like, they didn't do anything. The droids... You know, They didn't defeat the Gungan army. Uh, They just happened to deactivate.
0: Yeah, like it's. I mean, Jar Jar kills like four of them, just like sl- you know, slinging a gun around on the ground, not knowing what he's doing, which is ridiculous too. But you know, this is my problem with the end of Avengers too. We blow up the main ship, and all of the you know yeah. whatever whatever those were supposed to be just fall apart. And I'm like, nah, that's. I hated that in the Phantom Menace, and I hated that when I saw it again in Avengers. <laughs> the thing I hate the most about the Avengers. Now, I like the Avengers by the way, but I hated that. I was like, oh, why do we have to steal the Phantom Menace ending? Come on. Yeah. You know, I mean, they were, they were doing a pretty good job. Hulk was winning. Come on. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, yeah. It does make the Gungans seem like they were really all talk, <laughs> you know, like, Oh, we're going to fight graciously. Well, they fought pretty decent, but they didn't really do anything. I mean, they were yeah. getting wiped out in the droves, you know, I, there weren't enough of them to go around. And I, I don't know. I, I was more glad that it was all over because yeah. the, the thing that I liked had ended. And so now I just wanted the other storylines to be over with. And and they are pretty quickly. And, you know, we get to the – the problem is is the ending of this movie, again, whiplashes me, man. We go from, you know, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi has conferred the level of Jedi Knight. We never seen him take the test of the trial, so we have no idea what that is, right? Yeah. And then he, then he argues to train Anakin, and Yoda, like, finally goes – Okay. And I'm like, what happened to the Yoda it was like, My own counsel will I keep on what I'll do? Yeah. You know, I'm like, Well, everyone wasn't even that convincing but i gave him my word yeah well he's dead so you know i mean that's what yoda should have said (laughs) dead he is matter it not so (laughs) i mean boy boy a job we give in the janitor room you know or whatever (laughs) something pilot he shall be i don't know i just that seemed to be so but it's where we want to get to you know we got to get to that point right and they put the Padawan haircut on him, which I'm like, oh, that's better than that Justin Bieber thing he had going on. And we we do the I, what, what does Amidala give the Gungans at the end of this? Like it's a it's yeah, one but- of those it's like you get it at Spencer's. It was the trope <laughs> in uh, My Science Project <laughs> ball. I don't know what yeah, the, the hell the, that thing is. This,
1: the shiny blue orb is being you know handed down. I I don't know what the hell that is. And watching it now, it really stands out as like, what the hell. Is that like, like giving medals to Han, Luke, and Chewie makes sense, but like giving the blue giving the blue orb to Boss Nass, give it to Jar give it to Jar Jar or something like while, just,
0: while the Gungan like marching band comes down the street, <laughs> you know, and I I'm you know banging out the drum solo and Palpatine walks by and says his one line to Anakin. And then that's, that's it we go, but we go from, you know, a a Jedi argument about training Anakin to a funeral, you know, where we're burning the body of Liam Neeson and everybody's somber. And you have that little conversation about, there's always only two Sith, the master and the apprentice. And then uh, what Samuel L. Jackson gets to drop that line about, well, which one was that? You know, and I'm like, well, that's not a real good insurrection if there's only ever two of you. That that seems yeah. kind of weak. The, then we go to this grand celebration, all within about 90 seconds of each other, and I'm like, man, I am on emotional whiplash from that. That yeah. there's no time to resonate with any of that stuff.
1: Yeah, it's like you just killed off the hero, and now it's party time. It's like, well, yeah, he
0: he gets what 40 seconds, maybe, yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe a minute. Uh, that's awful. Oh, I hated that, but again, it's why Qui Gon is not the main character of this film. So because they don't treat him like he is, you know. So I'm surprised they didn't just end on Jar Jar saying something stupid. Yeah. Because you know? that that might as well have. So, I mean, at this point, I I don't know. I just uh, I at that point, I was I was ready for it to be over. And and even and like I said, when I walked out of it in 1999, I was like, oh, that was cool. And then I tried to explain it, and every time seeing it since, I always feel the same way. When the lightsaber duels over, I'm kind of done. Yeah, you know, with this, I'm, I'm just I'm I've had enough. So uh, I think we're at the point of the podcast where it's time for us to give final thoughts, recommendations and popcorn ratings. So, Kurt, what are yours for Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace?
1: Well, uh, like I said, when I was 11 years old, I saw it, uh, I I wondered how my, I wonder how my dad thought about this. But I took him I made him take me to see that movie three times in the cinema. Uh, <laughs> I never heard what he thought of the movie. But I loved this movie so much. Oh, look at the flashing stuff. Isn't Jar Jar funny? Look at that. He just stepped in uh, some kind of alien shit. Isn't that <laughs> hilarious? And then watching it now, I'm 25 years old. I've uh, watched a lot of movies. My uh, my uh, my idea of cinema has been expanded greatly since 1999, and watching this movie now, flat out I would just say this movie doesn't earn the use of that Star Wars language of that Star Wars music like when the when the when the cut to credits and that I watch it's like you did not earn the use of that celebration music at all this movie is not good enough to deserve uh being called a Star Wars movie this doesn't feel like Star Wars a ta- a Revenge of the Sith feels like Star Wars Attack of the Clones feels like Star Wars uh more or less. This movie feels like a bad Star Wars ripoff. This feels like something that would come out in, let's say, like 1987, that the critics would say, well, it's clearly inspired by Star Wars. Too bad they didn't do as good a job. That's what this movie is. I'm just going to flat out say it. This is a bad film. This is a crappy movie. This is, And this is without a question... I. I, I want to apologize to every fan of Return of the Jedi that I might have <laughs> made angry in my in, in the last podcast. I take back everything I said. I take back everything I said about Han Solo. Han Solo at his weakest is Vito Corleone compared to every character in this movie, in Phantom Menace. This is a bad movie. One of the greatest wastes of a cast. Liam Neeson, bad in a movie. I never thought that could possibly happen. Jar Jar Binks, like I said, you know, he sinks this movie. Could have been the best part of the movie. Could have been the character that you walk out like with the Hulk, where you walk out thinking, "Man, wasn't it great when Jar Jar did this?" But no. Darth Maul's amazing. That f- five minutes of screen time, that's lightsaber fights, is sensational. Is is that's I give that a ten in terms of uh, how good it is. But everything else, the way this movie craps on my uh, on what I love but the Star Wars trilogy, like I said, watching this movie is like being in the middle of a human centipede It is just shit from <laughs> beginning to end <laughs> and I don't know I mean uh, I give this thing an extra small popcorn. I don't know. do you have the Dixie Cup size rating? Do you have a thimble <laughs> size rating because I'll take a kernel this movie gets a kernel for the for the lightsaber fight and the pod, and the pod race, which is amazing. as I said, the effects and the production design. A lot of work went into this movie. Too bad. It just, it just didn't pay off. I feel bad for the, the, the thousands of people that worked on this movie, the effects people, the, the artists, the designers, the people who did the lighting on the set, the extras. I feel bad for those guys because those guys worked work their asses off in movies like this and movies like Transformers. Like, There's so much work that goes into this, and it just didn't pay off. So this, this is the worst of the six. I don't care. I'm sick of people saying Attack of the Clones <laughs> is the worst. And uh, there's some bad stuff in that, but we'll get to that. But Phantom Menace, this is the worst Star Wars movie.
0: The thing about this one with me, Kurt, is I, I can watch it. And for that lightsaber fight and things, I will always walk away from it going, well, that was entertaining. So yeah. on some level, this movie worked for me. But I always want it to be more than it is. And, and I've always felt that way about it. Even after that first time of seeing it, when I walked out of the theater, like Wooha, Star Wars! And then when someone put logic to me and said, well, okay, tell me what it was about. And I mean, it was it. They weren't even trying to start anything. They were just like, oh, look, what was it about? And I was like, I, I don't know. There was like this queen, and I, there was the devil with a lightsaber. It was awesome. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I I can't explain it. And we've you know spent you know, almost two hours here talking through it. And I still don't think I understand it anymore. And that's the reason (laughs) I've watched it. The most of any of the prequels is I'm always trying to figure out what in the hell this is supposed to be besides just a visual spectacle. It is that it succeeds on that level, but it is horrible dialogue. It is terrible performances and it's wasted performances. I think you said it great there. It's a waste of a cast and I've seen some waste of cast. This one is right up there with it. Just, badly done and i i like certain things about this one. i do i like watching the the extras and the dvd i would recommend it for anybody watch the behind the scenes the making of on this you'll really you really will feel for the people that made this thing and actually don't feel too bad for them they made a lot of money off of this all right so they all you know they they cashed in but they put a lot of work into this they were trying the man at the head though just didn't have it quite together i don't think i think the script Had it been polished over by at least one other person that knew what they were doing, we you pick a name, right? You know, hell, Shane Salerno, you know, somebody to, to take another look at the thing might have fixed some of it. But the problems here are inherent at the core is that there's really not a story here. There's set up for what's going to be a much more interesting story. I will feel the same way. People t- attack Attack of the Clones, and I'm like, well, you need to step back and watch Phantom Menace <laughs> again, because Attack of the Clones is friggin' genius compared to this. And Revenge yeah. of the Sith, totally different level. We'll get to those in the next few podcasts, but this is by far the worst of the Star Wars films. And I, as much as I want to, I want to defend this. And I won't lie. I'll watch it again sometime in my life. There's parts of it I do like. I can't defend it as a whole. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Small popcorn and, you know, may God has mercy on his soul because it's just <laughs> – I, I just hate that, that you know some of the things that went down here are chucked together in such a bad movie. But uh, I can't defend it. I can't defend it any more than that. Small popcorn. Folks, thanks for joining us in this latest episode of Film Strip. You can find more episodes. On our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies, you can learn a little bit about the host there. You can search through all of our other series. You can find links to our Facebook and Twitter page. You'll also find a link to our iTunes page. Leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think. And find us on Facebook, the Continuous Play page. Like us there and leave us comments about what you think on this. And you can also catch up with Kurt on the Fabish Factor podcast and the Fabish Factor uh, film uh, Facebook page.
1: Yes, you can. The Fabish Factor Film Podcast, where I get into all the stuff that I'm into, whether it's uh, Game of Thrones, Batman, the Alien series, or the various films of a given year. We just did a an episode of uh, Best Films of 1986. We went on for a good long while about that. All things Newt related from uh, <laughs> Carrie Hannon, Aliens. And... Uh, and it's a good show. And of course, there's the Fabish Factor Film Group on Facebook, where we have very much the exact same conversations. Uh, while Game of Thrones is on the air, uh, it's game, very much Game of Thrones centric uh, that forum. But it's a good, but uh, it's a good place. Come and uh, join in the conversation.
0: Yeah, open group. Come hang out. You know, the the other continuous play hosts hang out in there. You'll find Nick in there, and Brian and myself. You know, catch up with us and let us know what you think. We always appreciate interacting with all of you. Until next time, for Kirk, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Film Strip. Thank you for listening to our Star Wars Retrospective Series. May the Force be with you.